Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Thursday morning, September 21, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. A lot to talk about this morning. Uh, I guess I want to apologize and um, say thank you. Apologize for allowing us to not be as consistent as we probably need to be. Thank you for engaging in a very inconsistent conversation over the past two or three days. I thought a little bit about, I always think about, I do kind of a, um, I don't know, a, a self-evaluating post-mortem on the show. And it was um, it was kind of, a, to me, it was interesting when Jeff said yesterday toward the end, uh, these last couple of days and the topics you're covering are, are kind of curious. You know, like, like what, what are you up to? Uh, I, just trying to find things that I think you believe, excuse me, that you think are interesting to consider and, um, and conversate about. Is somebody already right. on the phone? Yeah. Okay. Early riser. This morning, let's go to the phone. Bird Odom, Marlboro County. Morning, Bird. Morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? Morning, Bird. Good. Uh, the the main topic coming up is uh, Monday. President Trump is going to be making his fourth trip back to South Carolina in a little over seven months. Going to be down in Somerville at uh, a sportsman boats, and uh, expect to have a big crowd down there. Uh, be a certain amount of people uh, limited uh, inside the facility, but. Uh, it just shows the uh, respect and the, I, I call it like I see it, the love that uh, President Trump has for South Carolina and the people of South Carolina. Bird, is there any scenario you see, I mean, your boot's on the ground, and I mean that in the most complimentary way. Is there any scenario you see Trump not winning South Carolina despite Tim Scott and Nikki Haley being in the race? Uh, none, none whatsoever. Okay. The poll that came out yesterday, uh, the two, two early polls, Iowa and uh South Carolina, they pretty much mirror each other. President Trump's got a 46-point uh, lead on DeSantis. I think DeSantis in uh, Iowa is at 13. I think in South Carolina, he's at 11. Uh, no, there is no scenario. And matter of fact, I don't think uh, if the first four, uh, two caucuses and the first two primaries go the way we think they're going to go, uh, I think the primary race for the Republican nomination will go to President Trump, and it'll be pretty much over with. Thank you, Bird. Appreciate the report. Appreciate um is the is the event in um is the event open to the public Monday? Uh no, that's the that it'll be open as far as there'll be a lot of people will probably be outside, but it is it is limited to I think around a thousand people on the inside of the facility. So and you have have to already have had a ticket probably. Okay, so it's not one of these 10,000 seat it's, at football no, stadium sort no, of events. No, it's a small event. And if you'll notice, uh, there's been a lot of other small events that President Trump uh, has done, like in small facilities or visiting uh, restaurants and places like that, like he did in Iowa this week, rather than have a, a huge rally. Uh, when I worked at Rally in Pickens, I mean, I was amazed uh, uh, at what it takes to put on one of those things. And I think anybody, if would have seen what I saw in Pickens and what it takes. And I worked the whole weekend up there. It's, it's just amazing what they can pull together in, in a short period of time. But, uh, no, uh, doing a lot of, a lot of the small venues where we can reach out more to voters one-on-one and president Trump can get his message to people, uh, uh, a lot better that way, even though he does great in a rally, but more, more personal contact for president Trump. Interesting. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate the update. Eight four three six six one. Oh nine three seven. I don't want to steal my buddy's thunder, but Jordan and I spoke yesterday. Uh, that would have been Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Um, I think Jay Jordan endorsed Donald Trump for president. He'll be here tomorrow, and I don't want to steal his thunder, but that's news 
and we're in the news business, so to speak. Um, Verd was talking about the the state of the race, and and I did see the polling yesterday from Iowa and South Carolina. They are fairly consistent one with another. The only difference I saw was Haley does better in South Carolina than than she does in um in Iowa. Nikki's at about eighteen ish in South Carolina. Trump's at about forty six to forty eight. And all of these polls, that reflect this. Um, I mean, I think he's north of 50 in the national RCP averages, the real clear politics aggregate of all these polls. Some are a little bit more trustworthy than others. Um, the, the interesting phenomenon to me, and I mean, it's just not going to work now. I mean, it's obvious it's not going to work. Ron DeSantis ran as Trump-like but had more ideological rigor. I mean, there was more, you know, a lot of folks wanted more seriousness out of the policy side, and they just didn't feel they got that with Trump. DeSantis's lane was going to be, hey, you know, I'm Trump without all the drama. I, I'm Trump with some of the um, so, so, some of the intellectual underpinning that I talk about. Uh, I, I, I refer to it as ideological rigor. Uh, he was a guy that a lot felt had the, <sighs> the personality to do the nuts and bolts and heavy lifting it takes to govern, you know, dealing with some of the issues he dealt he with in sure Florida. He sure has failed to sell it's that. It's just he's not a charismatic guy. I mean, he's not. I mean, it's. It, I don't want to say he's, just, he's unlikable because he's not. I mean, I don't think people go uh, to, to, to DeSantis meet and greets or rallies and say, I, you know, I don't like the guy. There's just something lacking there. there, there there's a personableness that, that is just not. I, I'll tell you, there, there, he, he doesn't make connections. That would probably be a better way to explain it. It's a little bit sad. I mean, it really is because I think he's one of the bright stars of the America First movement. And um, having him uh, perform as poorly, I mean, let's be candid. Uh, he came into the race at about 34%. He's, he's at about 10 or 12 today. I mean, when you enter the race at 34% and you don't ascend from there, you don't even hold your own there. Remember the number we gave, uh, the amount of money it costs to stay where you are? I mean, the, the reason yeah. that, that DeSantis stayed at about 30% for as long as he did, he had a lot of money. I mean, there were a lot of um, financial interest, shall I say, supporting the DeSantis campaign, and he was able to stay at about 30 But once people didn't see the ascend, they began kind of like questioning whether they were making wise investments or not, and the money started drying up. And you see a precipitous decline in the polling. Um, if DeSantis had a billion bucks, he'd still be a thirty. I mean, he really and truly would. But but the, the you know the the power players and donor class of the GOP that wanted to get Trump. I mean, that's the asymmetrical relationship I talk about with the donor class of the base voter. Um, I mean, Drew McKissick disagrees with that. I mean, he thinks they're out of a line, but they're not asymmetrical one with another. I think one interesting thing Drew said last Thursday was, it would surprise you. To know what some of these heavy hitters think and say. I mean, that, you know, Drew's not going to mislead uh, us. I, that that does surprise me. When Drew sits down with someone who writes a $100,000 check to the RNC, I've suspected that one in a thousand <laughs> are, are Trumpsters. I mean, I've just said, hey, man, let's put this, let's put Humpty Dumpty back together again and get the trains back running on time uh, the way it's supposed to. And, you know, I don't, I'm not in those meetings and I, I don't know what those conversations are like, but they've got a center around Trump. I mean, it, you know, we, we referred to him and I, and I, I was wrong. I said, you know, maybe he's not the 800 pound gorilla 
but he's still the 700-pound. No, I mean, he may be 900. I mean, Donald Trump as a politician has never been in a more advantageous position than he is right now in both the Republican primary and the general election. Donald Trump is polling at 50% in some of these mainstream polls. I mean, the CBS YouGov poll has him 47, 48. I've seen him at 50 in some of the Monmouth polls. He's never been 47, 48, 49, 50. I mean, this high-water mark has been 46-ish. So there's, um, you know, he's not just in a better place in the Republican primary. He's better than he's ever been in becoming president of the United States. Now, now, now the unknown, you know what the unknown is? Everybody knows what the unknown is, the trials. I don't have any, I don't have any idea. Why? Because there's no president. There's no precedent to a presidential candidate running for office one day in a stadium of 20,000 people, the next day in a courtroom being accused of felonies. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be unique. We, we, we don't, you know, it's going to be good for talk radio. And I would imagine the, um, the number of Americans who find that interesting grows. Um, the Seinfeld watcher will probably turn Seinfeld off during the commercials and, and, and go to. Um, so is the day, is today the day that Trump's in a courtroom or in a rally? Is he debating or is he, uh, you know, being uh, litigated? That's going to be an interesting phenomenon. It really and truly is. But Verge, right. I mean, when you look at where we are today, the, the only wild card is the caucus in Iowa. I mean, that's a different kind of animal. Um, politicians believe that making personal investments there, by that I mean, you know, uh, slapping backs, kissing babies, uh, knocking on doors, handing out pizzas, you know, attending uh, state fairs. I mean, that, that's kind of the, um, the crux of Iowa. It's not a, it's not a primary. It's a caucus. So it's very up close and personal. And there's a belief, I guess, amongst the never Trumpers that if somebody can break out in Iowa, that that momentum can transition to New Hampshire. Um, But I don't see any data that says that. I mean, the Iowa polling today is as good for Trump as it's been since the day he showed up on the political scene. I mean, he's at 46, 47 in Iowa. He's at 47, 48 in South Carolina. Um, Haley's at about 10 in Iowa, 18 in, uh, in South Carolina, uh, DeSantis and Scott somewhere around eight, nine, 10, 11 ish, uh, Ramaswamy's at five, six, seven in the, um, in the early States. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, can, if Trump were to win Iowa, win New Hampshire, it's over. I mean, it's over. I mean, you can piss on the fire and call the dogs. I mean, it, the, the hunt's over. I mean, that's just the end of it. Um, but, but I guess there's the never Trumpers holding out hope that something can happen in Iowa, um, that kind of carries over in, in New Hampshire, but the, the data just says otherwise. I mean, I understand the personal investment. I understand, you know, being in Iowa day after day, after day, after day and meeting Iowans where they are. I mean, that sounds, you know, old school politics and it historically has worked, but you've got a unique situation with a former president who seems to have gotten stronger every time he has an issue with the law. Um, <laughs> that's just where we are. Make sense of it, if you will. I've tried, and it's it's hard. Let's yeah. go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning. You know, kid, I've never really seen Trump as very likable. And I've never even really considered him to be this brilliant um, Jesus. Well, let me ask you this. Let, let me stop you there, because I'd, I'd be interested in your opinion. Do you find him refreshing? 
I'm with you. I don't find him real likable, but I find him extremely refreshing. He's almost sometimes too simple to me. And, uh, and, and the thing, I guess, that you really like about him is the crazy rascal will just kind of say anything, and, and it ruffles everybody's feathers, you know. And, and on the subject of ruffling feathers, you know, I got to thinking last night, kid. I said, you know, I said, I probably put these boys in a, in a position sometimes. But, you know, your, your radio show, you know, a lot of the people that I go that I talk about, and, and you two also, hey, a lot of them are people that you're scared to, uh, you're scared to, you're scared to mess with. Like nobody, you know, wants to really get the bank bad at them. Nobody really wants to get these hospitals, because they're sponsors. Bikes pay for radio ads. Hospitals pay for radio ads. You know, you get the school district bad at you. You get the government bad at you. You know, and a lot of these people, you know, and I got to thinking, I said, you know, we have very little power over what a bike does to us. We have very little power over what a hospital does to us, what the schools do to us. And then at the same time, if these sponsors were to call you up and say, hey, you can't let Breeze keep talking about how bad we are, you know, or you can't let this caller talk about how bad we are, or, kid, you need to kind of watch what you're saying, man. I mean, you know, we spent a lot of money on your radio show, and you're talking about how uh, we need to quit using credit cards and debit cards because maybe our bikes, the money in our bikes aren't safe. And then, you know, and every time you use one of these cards, these bikes are getting rich. And the people that put their money into the bike, they take that money and invest it and make a bunch of money off of it. But what does the, what does the customer get for it? If he's not getting a safe place to keep his money and he's not getting a return on the investment, why keep your money in a bike? And the same thing with these hospitals. You know, when the hospital can charge you pretty much whatever they want and you ask for a bill and they can't even really produce a bill, I mean, you see where I'm going and I'm just wondering how bad a shape I mean, how bad do y'all guys get a lot of pressure sometimes from sponsors? If y'all know you've had to have a call on me before, say, I wish you could get Breeze to calm down and everything. Do y'all get much of that, kid? Uh, well, I mean, it, it, it gets complicated at times. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. I mean, it gets, I, I'm not avoiding the question, but it gets, gets complicated. Rev and I have a lot of conversations off the air, but, but here's where I've landed. And this is probably important for the listeners to understand. I mean, the sponsors that we have are, are not in the crosshairs. They're never in the crosshairs. I mean, every the reason we're able to be gainfully employed is sponsors, period. Listeners and sponsors. If we didn't have listeners and we didn't have sponsors, we don't have a radio show. And when we reach out to a, a McLeod, a Francis Marion, um, you know, a bank, Bree's talking about banks here, when I begin some of these tirades against certain things in society, I don't have those people in mind. I mean, it, it, I'm not a, when I talk about the, the, you know, the, the fact that we spend, you know, um, a much higher percentage of our GDP on healthcare than some of the other developed countries, that's not, that's not a slot to McLeod or MUSC or anybody else who has ever been associated with community broadcasters. Um, but, but I think you've got to allow the liberated conversation to take place. So I'll give you another example. Um, I mean, I, I'll let the cat out of the bag. One, one of my really good friends is Dr. Fred Carter. 
I'm the president of Francis Marion University. Dr. Carter and I have sat down together and, and tried to better understand student debt and try to have cordial, civil, respectful conversations about student debt. He's never said, stop talking about that. He's never inferred, you know, that, that, that gets us at a bad place. No. I mean, college presidents know we have too much student debt. College presidents understand that there are issues in society that need to be discussed and talked about. Um, during the COVID pandemic, I mean, we said a lot of things about health care and, and the industry or sector that is that is health care. And, and yes, I mean, sometimes you're threading a needle. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Sometimes you're threading a needle. We've talked a lot about EVs and, and power and fossil fuel. One of our great partners is Marlboro Pity Electric Co-op. I mean, you know, they, they're in the business of power generation and power delivery. And, of course, we have, you know, um, at times disagreements with some of the things I've said. But, but I just hope we never get to a place where a CEO of a power company, a hospital, a, uh, you know, a, a bank, a, a, a university, just believe that instead of having frank, candid conversations, let's stop the discourse. You know, let's, we'll sponsor the show if you agree to never, ever bring up the cost of health care. We'll help you stay gainfully employed if you promise we'll never, ever have a discussion about student debt and the issues around higher education. I just think, I mean, you know, I just never understood that. I mean, if you are a, I mean, if you're someone who advertises in some medium, you don't want to go a place where there are no listeners. And I'll say this, and I think Rev will validate this far better than I can. This is a highly successful morning radio show. I mean, I'm not patting myself on the back. The reason, and you talked about Trump, you know, kind of saying things that ruffle feathers at times and uh, keeping it real at times. I think the reason that we've gained some, you know, um, uh, some influence in, in our particular market is our willingness to talk about things that a lot of people would be nervous um, to discuss. But I've never had a sponsor come to me and say, hey, that's off limits now, but be careful there. Now, I'm not a nut. I'm not a moron. I know when I start talking about health care, folks at some of our major health care providers go, man, I, I just, you know, that, I just wonder where he goes here. But, but you got to agree that the facts are the facts and the truth is the truth. And, and if we're seeking, if we're in pursuit of the truth, and I've said it, I'll say it again, I certainly don't have a monopoly on the truth. I mean, I have an opinion, and my opinion is substantiated on my belief of what the truth is, but, but I, you know, challenge is, is what I tell people. That's why we give our number every three, four, five minutes. You know, the, the opinions of the host are exactly that. The opinions of the host, the opinions of the callers are, are interesting and important. The opinions of the, of the sponsors are interesting and, and important. But, yeah, of course we have some of these conundrums. Where, where things we talk about paint certain sectors of our economy in, in, in a negative light. But, it, but it's never our intent. And, and I've never had a sponsor say, you know, I'm not going to sponsor this show because you talk about this. I'm not going to sponsor that show. To me, that is a, a, just, just an unbelievable insecurity you have in, in how good a job you're doing at whatever it is um, you're deciding to do. 843 661 0937, take a break, back in a few. So this is kind of an interesting question. I mean, Br Breeze's uh, comments, not a question, comments mm -hmm. were appropriate, I think, and very interesting. Rev is a radio professional. I am not. I mean, in all honesty, no, think about the, the, what is the intrigue of Trump? 
He's not a professional politician. Um, and he will say about anything. And, and he will say about anything. Uh, ruffle feathers and, you know, shock the political world. But he says these things. Um, I mean, I got to believe he's very spontaneous. Um, he's refreshing to me. I can't speak for others. Um, very few politicians say things that I chuckle out loud. But having, and I guess I can speak to this in the first person because I've run for office. And I know what you got to consider. And I understand, okay, a room full of business people, I got this to say. A room full of activists, I've got that to say. A room full of politically illiterates, I've got something else to say. And and there's a certain um, unwritten, unspoken strategy, and some have it or some don't. And Trump, just all those rules that apply to Eric, they just don't apply to him. I mean, it's just like, you know, whatever comes in his head, um, comes out of his mouth, but but I've always felt that. I mean, I, I've never considered myself a professional member of the media. I'm not. I mean, there, there are people out there who have done this for much longer. They're much better. Um, but they understand the professional side of of radio and broadcasting and journalism. Likewise, people who paged at the Senate, joined the Guard, went to law school. They understand the professional nature of politics. Trump is kind of an oddball. When it comes to that, there's nothing professional about his politics. I mean, I think it's refreshing. It's um, but it is controversial. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. And if you're not careful, I mean, how many times have we said can't say that? I mean, you can't say that and get away with it. Professional politicians know what you can and cannot say and get away with it. And I think they're misreading the public today. I think you can say a lot more today than you historically could and get away with it. I mean, I think you're rewarded now. For saying things, I tell Jay, Philip, and Mike. I mean, we have these conversations. They're elected officials. I'm not, and they'll say, "Well, what about this?" And I'm going, "I, I think you can say that." I mean, I don't think you could have said that ten years ago, but I think you can say that today and <laughs> probably become a, a little more popular. But Rev's always been kind of my professional sounding board, and some of these conversations we have internally. I mean, I, I trust his judgment because he's been. Uh, a part of radio shows that worked and didn't work and had runs and didn't have and didn't have runs. And the only way, I mean, this is not subscriber-based radio. I mean, this is terrestrial radio. The only way we stay on the air, I mean, it's not because we know everything and we're, we're accurate 92.45% of the time. We have listeners and we have sponsors. And that's the only way, the only way this endeavor endures so as the operations manager of the radio stations, I have a responsibility for the programming, uh, for what goes on the air, for keeping us on the air, and also for protecting the broadcast licenses, make sure we're following the FCC rules, um, and protecting and respecting the advertisers and make sure their messages are broadcast the way they want them broadcast. Um, that's kind of how this business works. Um, and so that's what I think about all the time for so all the radio stations. So do you get nervous? Well, let's let's have a, a private conversation publicly. <laughs> okay. Do you get nervous when I start talking about healthcare? I mean, to, to, I'd be dishonest if I say I, I I don't think about it when when you go down that road. I, you know, I but I don't get nervous. Um, Student debt, same thing. You know, I, I mean, these are issues because it does go back and specifically related related to this show. I mean, we we decided early on that one of our one of the things we were going to do is keep it real. We're going to talk about things, um, issues that are somewhat uncomfortable sometimes. Um, having said all that, I've never really been concerned because I know 
I mean, this is, we live in small towns, okay? And we all have relationships with, and you, in a lot of cases, know the people that are advertising. They're, 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 they're big businesses. They're small businesses. Um, and, and, and you're savvy enough to know uh, where that line is. You know, because obviously any one of us could cross the line at any time. You, you, I mean, I think about it just like you think about it, but I, I don't worry about what you're going to say. And, and I mean, so, so far, I guess, you know, we, we've had, I mean, we've, we've had discussions and then, and, and honestly, again, lay, laying, laying it out there on the table. I mean, there's been times where we've, you know, went to break and taken off our headphones and I've said, mm, I don't know that we, we probably should have gone that far. Um, you know, and, and, and that's part of what we do is we have to evaluate everything we do and keep it in mind. But, but it's always with the listener and the advertiser in mind. And that's the decision we make. And, and maybe sometimes we, we you know, step over the line a little further than we should and then just try not to do it again. Well, we don't personally attack and we don't allow personal attacks. No. I mean, we've had a couple of callers over the years call in and, and with a great degree of passion personally attack a business or a person, and we nip it in the bud. I mean, that's just not what we do here. Um, you've heard me say, call Dan Rather. I mean, that's his business. 60 minutes will bust your chops. That's not what we're in the business of doing. But you're right. We, we have these relationships, and we're respectful of the relationship. But, but I, and, I'll, and I'll say this, and I don't think the two people I'm, I'm thinking about would mind me saying this. If you run a university, you're a big boy or girl. I mean, you've got to accept some of the scrutiny that comes along with that. There, there's nothing attacking about any of this. If you run a big uh, power company, that you you got to believe that, um, you know, people should be uh, able to better understand some of these national issues and how they ma- how they're managed at, at the local level. I mean, that that's always a. I, I just don't know how you do this. Okay, let, let's let's host a a politically centric radio show. And let's not talk about higher education or student debt. Let's not talk about the cost of health care. Let's not talk about energy. I mean, you, you get an empty vessel. And you get something that, to me, I mean, that, to me, that's kind of, I mean, that, that's censorship. And, and I just, I know the people that have agreed to sponsor this show. They're not for censorship. I mean, they're not. Uh, they're for accuracy. You know, don't paint me in a bad light if I don't deserve it. And, and, and responsibility, and I think you've just alluded to, you trust me to understand where that line is, you know, where, where and, I, and I have crossed that line. I mean, I'm sure I have over the years. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever intentionally crossed the line, but my zeal gets the best of me at times when I read a certain number or hear a certain um, something or other. But, um, but, but no, th- these are personal relationships, and, and I treasure those personal relationships, not just because they, um, they support the radio show, but they're very instrumental in our community. I mean, they're important in our community. And, and, you know, I think part of our job is to better serve our, our community. But let me ask you this. Okay. okay, I'll throw a scenario out there. Let's say that we have a, a potential new sponsor of the show. Let's say the owners have lined up um, hmm, BlackRock. <laughs> <laughs> Or Vanguard <laughs> and say, okay. hey, there, you know, we, we got this potential new sponsor, but we're going to need you to do a few things. How do you respond to that? That's interesting. <laughs> well, now, it, it, at the end of the day, it's not my call. You know, right. I mean, it, it's right. the sales manager, yes, the general manager, ownership. the owner yeah. of the company. It's not it's not my decision. But if they asked my opinion, I would I would argue that money's money. Commerce is commerce. 
but I am very comfortable with the the ethics and morality of all the businesses we do business with. Are they perfect? No. I mean, is, is the, are the sponsors of our show perfectly run enterprises? No. Guess what? Community Broadcasters is not either. But I would have a problem with Vanguard or BlackRock. I really and truly would. Obviously, I'm not the person that gets to make the decision, but if they were, if they allowed me to be a part of that conversation, I would, I would argue I don't, when I talk of student debt, I understand the people I'm dealing with. When I talk of healthcare, I understand the people I'm dealing with. Um, I think Vanguard and BlackRock are bad. I mean, I think they're, I, I'm not saying they're evil people doing evil things. I'm certainly not arguing that. But but the the tenor of this show, the uh, our representation of politics and the people that have in, you know entrusted to some degree our our ability to entertain and engage and inform, um, I, I would have a problem saying we'll be right back to the Vanguard studio with a BlackRock financial report. <laughs> but if the check was big enough. <laughs> there you go. But if the That's check was, was big enough, I'd bite my lip and say, <laughs> we'll be right back with the Vanguard studio and the BlackRock financial report. I mean, let's be honest. Everybody has a price. Brought to you by Pfizer. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's good enough for meat depressed, right. it's certainly good enough for uh, for Wake Up Carolina. Let's go to the phone. Scott in Florence. Good morning, Scott. You're on. Good morning, guys. Uh, great show as usual. Hey, I just want to say uh, I think your advertisers, uh, while they may have some influence and some political preference, they have to recognize your authenticity and being real, as you guys say is the reason why you get ears listening to you. Just like the ridiculous stories that come across on social media feed, just to get clicks and to get click throughs and bombard you with advertisements and never tell you the punchline or the Paul Harvey rest of the story. Um, you know, you guys have to get after the, the central points of the issues. And I think you're at your local advertisers, even though it may leave, uh, a somewhat bad taste in their mouth as far as they don't personally agree with the politics of where you're going with your point. They know that authenticity is why you get the listenership and that's why they get the bang for the buck with their advertising dollar. I'll let you guys discuss that. Thank you. Appreciate it. Here's the, yeah. here's what I get from our sponsors. You ready? The the people that sponsor our, our show, here's what the, the majority of their comments center around. You're really good for the community. You're really good for the community. I'll give you an example. I've got in my um <laughs> here what call a mouse pad um peanut patch boiled peanuts. Uh, when I decided to do a radio show, I went to McCall Farms. I mean, they have always been supportive of my political career. Um, I recorded all of my lieutenant governor ads at McCall Farms. My consultant, the the esteemed Robert Cahaley, wanted me to go to Greenville. Because that's where the that's where all the commerce happens in the upstate of South Carolina. I remember telling Robert, "I ain't from the upstate," <laughs> <laughs> and we argued back and forth. I want you to be here or there. I said, "Robert, I want to do my ads here. I mean, this is where I'm from. These are my people. These businesses are familiar with me. I'm familiar with them. I want to do my television ads at a at a plant locally." Um, Woody Henry, Marion McCall Swink. I mean, they were gracious enough to, to agree to let us come in. Robert and I spent a day and a half, 
uh, down there wearing, you know, hair nets and taking them off for 10 seconds, putting the hair net back on. You got all these DHEC regulations. And, you know, um, anyway, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's food manufacturing. It's a big cannery. Um, I sat down with them when, when I decided to, to accept, you know, the job as radio show host. And I was very candid. I said, guys, I know I can't move the meter on the national distribution of your product. There's no way I can do that. But I do believe that we can paint your business in a favorable light. And that's what they wanted. They, they, when people think of McCall Farms, they want McCall Farms thought of as a community-oriented, positively thought of business here in, in the PD. And I think we've done that. But, but we didn't have a grand strategy um, hey, we, we've got 22% of the collared market. We'd like to have 26%. We think can, can deliver that extra 4%. I mean, when I sat down with McLeod, I said, you're the largest employer in our county. I, I want to do something for the community. Um, they bought in. That They knew that I was going to be controversial. They knew that I was going to say things that they were like, wow, I mean, do we really need to be? But they believed that this was good for the community. And I do believe that what we've done here is good for the community. Um, now, now at times, and I, and I could share stories with you about when people don't care much for what I do here, um, they ain't going to name a school building after me anytime in the, in the near future. I'm sure of that because we took on a referendum and we engaged a community about, you know, educating them on, on the referendum and it failed miserably 75, 25%. I got blamed for a lot of that failing of the referendum. You, you, you stoked it up. You ginned it up. You convinced all that rabid conservative base of yours, you know, to be against it. I don't convince anybody of anything. I mean, I, I provide information for people to consume and digest and make an opinion uh, based on their interpretation of what I told them to be true. But, um, but, but no, I, I believe that we're good for the community. I think we provide a service um, you guys provide a, a great service to us. I can tell you, low Rick and Bond Jordan, they feel much more in tune with their voters after coming on Wake Up Carolina than they did uh, before. We can continue this. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial member FINRA SIPC. This morning's edition of the Armstrong Minute is brought to you by the Armstrong Wealth Management Group, dedicated to growing and protecting your wealth. Welcome back to Wake Up Carolina Thursday morning. Reggie Armstrong is with us. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. Back again. So you stepped on my toes last week when you said some people just don't plan for college. Um, <laughs> that would be yours truly. Seems <laughs> I don't plan for much at all. But toward the end of mm-hmm. um, the the discussion on 529s, you mentioned something that I'd never heard of. Yep. And that is the 529 ABLE yep. plan. Kids aren't the same. Yep. Some kids have certain challenges mm-hmm. that other kids don't have. What exactly did the people who designed 529 ABLE plans yeah. have in mind? And, sure. and why do you think it's something some people need to consider? Sure. Great question. So here's the challenge. If you have a, let's say you have a child who has disabilities. And if they get too much money in you know inheritance or whatever it can mess up their disability and so some people will work with an estate attorney to set up what is known as a special needs trust also called a supplemental needs trust but some people don't have the kind of money where that's going to really make that it's not worth the trouble but yet 
what if Johnny inherits $50,000? That could mess things up, you know? And so uh, what, what was designed is, again, the, well, I'm going to call them ABLE accounts. The, the, the technical language is Achieving a Better Life Experience Act. You know, again, typical Congress come, trying to come up with acronyms and stuff like that. But here's what it is. It was signed into law in December 2014, and it allows Americans who are living with disabilities to save money for college and other expenses in a tax-deferred account as a supplement to private insurance and public benefits. So kind of similar to 529 plans, they're administered by states, so we have one here in South Carolina. Money can then be withdrawn down the road tax-free, so when the funds are used to pay for qualified disability expenses. So you can put away as much as the gift tax amount. So this year in 2023, it's $17,000. So you can put into the plan $17,000 of just cash. Or if you had a college plan and then the kid became disabled, you can then convert $17,000 a year over into it. Um, plus, they can contribute uh, up to the poverty limit of income. So let's say someone has, is disabled, but they're, they're, you know, they're working at Harris Teeter and they're making $10,000 a year or something, they could add that to this account if they're not needing it. Now, there is one challenge with this kind of plan is that if the, if the balance in the plan gets over $100,000, they'll no longer be eligible for SSI benefits. So again, it's not like you want to pile in as much as you can, but what it, for somewhat of modest means is a way of maybe helping take care of your future adult uh, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And a and couple of things. Here's some of the expenses, education, that, it's, that you can use it for, education, job training, support, health care, and financial management. Um, but to qualify, individuals have to be a, have been diagnosed with a significant disability before they turn 26, and, they, and it's expected that it's going to last at least 12 months, consecutive months. Uh, now, there is, as of January 1, 2023, the ability to transfer, as I mentioned, 529 money from a college plan to an ABLE plan in the event the beneficiary is later diagnosed with a disability such as autism. Because sometimes, you know, I mean, I know an adult, he's in his 60s, he didn't, he wasn't diagnosed with autism until he was in his 50s. But most kids are diagnosed early, but you might have a, a, a five, six-year-old, and all of a sudden at age 12, they're diagnosed with autism. You may have been able to put away money in college. A 529, regular 529 plan, now you can shift it to this. But basically, it, there's, there's a lot of depth to this. But if someone's out there and they have a child or a grandchild with disabilities and this sparks something, uh, give us a call. My business partner, Lee Carter, he, ha he, he has a child with autism. And, and so he's very familiar with this. He, he's much, far more of an expert than I am on this. But as a firm, we, we make sure that we're competent in all these areas. Okay, and someone needs to start that conversation, whether it's about that or something else in their yep. financial lives. How do they reach out to you or a member of your team? Sure, they can look us up on the web if they like armstrongwealth.com or 843-292-9997. Um, Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. This Thursday's edition of the Armstrong Minute is brought to you by the Armstrong Wealth Management Group at 1807 West Devon Street in Florence. Opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. So have we established or not that our success is predicated upon 
our being perfect at our jobs, <laughs> aligning ourselves with perfect sponsors. And if Josh stays him, I mean, Josh will be here a little while. If Josh stays here long enough, some of that perfect will rub off on him. Mm. Right. Oh I mean, yeah. Rev, are you perfect? Uh, well, in the context sure you are. In, in the context you're talking now, of course I am. In, in the confines of this studio, you're perfect. Oh, I'm yes. perfect. Our sponsors are perfect. What more could you ask for, right? <laughs> right. We, we, we've we've anointed ourselves mm. perfection personified. There, take that, competitors. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, somehow well, that be, conversation well, be, we, we, made we, a turn. When Cato was here, Cato, we were we were going to be gone for a couple of days, and and Cato said, you know, I've got some stuff in the can I think's pretty good. Uh, we'll do the best of. And I said, Cato, I think the best, the best we can do. I mean, every day we do the best we can do to engage an audience, entertain an audience at times, maybe enlighten an audience. I think we've done a little of that in the last couple of days with electric vehicles and the complication of the, uh, of the transition. But, but, and I, and I say this talk radio should be successful today because nobody else believes that they're allowed to express their opinion without some fear of retribution. I mean, I, I really believe that. I think majority of Americans, I don't know if you saw this or not, but there was a, a member of Congress yesterday uh, addressing uh, A.G. Garland and, and basically said, do you not know how afraid the American people today are of their government and you're a part of that? I mean, she didn't have a specific question. It was like, you know, wine or line. I mean, she, was, she said, Mr. Garland, um, people are afraid uh, of the government. And that's not a healthy thing. If I had a chance to ask A.G. Garland a question yesterday, you know what would what, what it Because he's not going to answer any questions. You know, ongoing investigation. You know, I, I'd never interfere in, a, in an ongoing investigation. You know the question I would have asked him? Attorney General Garland, 65% of Americans don't have faith in their government. Are we the reason? Are you the reason? Are the people's ignorance the reason? I, I just think that's that's the that's the the tact I would have taken because he holds himself up to be some sanctimonious soul who would never do the wrong thing. He does the right thing every time, Reb. Um, mm -hmm. But but he came across across to me as kind of a bitter, vindictive man. But I would love to hear him answer that question. But I mean, are the American people crazy, or do they have a reason to be highly skeptical and 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 not so trusting of what the government? has and has not said. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Sam in Cross Hill. Good morning, Sam. Well, good morning. I'm actually in the great uh, town of Darlington this morning. I had the privilege of waking up here at my uh, former, my home where I was raised. But uh, yeah, anyway, um, yeah, I think the Republicans yesterday on the uh, in the committee hearing uh, pretty much said, accused him of the reason there's distrust in our, in our government. Um, but uh, a couple of things uh, I was watching. I'm, I've been watching a lot of YouTube shorts on Coach Prime. And so I landed on one last night where Coach Prime has evidently turned the cafeteria there at Colorado into like a five-star restaurant or something was kind of the, the title. But a, a little part of the segment shows him going over to one of the uh, drink boxes and he pulls out a Celsius. And he takes this thing and he turns it around and he looks at all the ingredients. And he says, he looks at him and he says, Man, I don't know what all this stuff is, but it sure does work. So <laughs> <laughs> Celsius is known in Colorado for you for the tipsy folks uh, out there. But anyway, um, I know that uh, you don't like it when Jeff calls and starts asking you questions, Ken. But I have a music trivia question for you guys today. Okay, 
Okay. And uh, what is the significance of this day in music land? Today in music land. <sighs> September 21. Yeah. Mm. Yes. I don't know. You got me. Okay. You don't remember the 21st night of September back in the day? I still don't. Josh Earth, does. What fire? is it, Josh? Uh, Earth, wind, and fire. You know, like, do you, do you remember? remember? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Today's September 21st. I got you. I got you. There you go. There you go. So, so it's kind of a question, trick question. It? It's not a significant day in, like, I think you and I, we were all kind of expecting, like, did someone die today? Did right. something get Somebody's released birthday. today? Well, well, I'll give you an example, uh, Sam. I, late December back in 63. Remember that? Late December, yeah, back okay. in 63. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that, that song's about me being born. I mean, I was born late December back in, in 63, so th there's another um, unknown <laughs> and, and not so important uh, music trivia nugget of history. Where do you put, where do you guys put Earth, Wind, and Fire, Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears in your musical categories? They're there. I mean, they, you know, I've got some um, Earth, Wind, and Fire on my iTunes. Very good. Well, there's a group of Russians that's running around the country on tour. They, they tour about every year. They're called Leonid, Leonid, Leonid and, and Friends. Friends. Oh, I watch them and all the they time. They are a great cover, great cover group. Yeah, they're great. They do, uh, and, and they really sing and, and play those instruments. I watch them on YouTube all the time, and the, the quality of their, their recordings is incredible. They do yeah, Chicago same. songs and Earth, Wind, and Fire and a lot of that, that style of music. You're right. Right, yeah. I just want to throw that out uh, and uh, bring a little bit of levity to all this political nonsense that we are, we have to deal with every day. Good but, deal. Uh, Thank anyway. you, Sam. Appreciate that. So, where is Earth, Wind, and Fire? I mean, it, I mean, Rev, in your, I mean, it, pop, right? Oh yeah. I mean, they, rhythm they, and blues, soul. I mean, you know, I guess uh, during the day they were just they were pop music. Uh, you wouldn't have called it top forty. I guess maybe you would have okay. back in those days. Yeah, but uh, they were just. Uh, I don't know. They're not middle-of-the-road artists. Josh, how did you know that? I mean, they're before your time. I yeah. mean, that's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. That he knew that, and I didn't. Yeah, and I didn't either. I thought Sam was talking about, you know, the, the birthday of such-and-such such or the, the, the death celebration of such-and-such. Such. Um, that's what I was thinking, too. But uh, every year, you know, I'm on a couple meme apps, and every year on this day, it's just okay. that clip of that song. I got you. Um, We're not on enough meme I've apps, actually, apparently. Yeah, I've already seen it today. I just... Like, I, it was kind of a trick question. I didn't make that connection at first either. Um, talking about on, on Twitter, he said, he, you know, he's been watching YouTube videos and on Twitter and whatnot. I saw one of the funniest things I've ever seen on Twitter yesterday. Might have been the day before. Um, and if you come from where I come from, you can relate to this. It said, um, you can't hurt my feelings. I, I brought my dad the wrong tool one time. Right, <laughs> right. I just thought nothing that, you that, could say. That, yeah, nothing you can say will hurt my feelings. I brought my dad the wrong tool one time, and I, I just—I I, I mean, I love that. I, I, that's so relatable to me in my world. Um, Twitter's such an interesting place. Um, Twitter's convinced me. Now they're nuts. I mean, there's no doubt about it. What what did Nick say about? I said, Nick, what do you say to the people who believe the planet will? you know, uh, being uninhabitable in five years. He said, those are nuts. I mean, you don't deal with nuts. Nuts are nuts, and they'll always be nuts. And they're nuts on Twitter. But I'm convinced that Twitter has some of the most talented people imaginable. The creativity. Um, I don't know if you saw this or not. Dave Portnoy. Anybody know who that is? 
Oh, yeah. But he's one of these. Barstool. Um, yeah, he's one of these internet phenoms, so to speak. Barstool Sports sold it. and Made a lot of money. I think he ended up with north of $100 million, um, his share, after he sold Barstool. And I think he's bought it back at a reduced rate. Anyway, um, he's kind of a unique personality. Pretty aggressive. I mean, he's a, he would be a um, literally and figuratively a northern aggressor. <laughs> but, but anyway, the Washington Post, he does these pizza uh, reviews. He goes into a pizza uh, parlor in Boston, New York, wherever, somewhere up north, and he critiques, gives a review of the uh, the quality of the pizza, and he was going to do some sort of pizza fest, and the he had a bunch of sponsors, and the Washington Post wrote a very opinionated article about Portnoy. They made all these outlandish accusations, and Portnoy did exactly what you would expect him to. He called up the Washington Post and got in touch with a reporter that was um supposed or supposedly wrote the article, and I mean it, you should hear it. He recorded the conversation. He recorded the and conversation released and released it. It's on Twitter. It, it's just interesting. And so so you've got I mean you, you've got an internet sensation, and you've got a a reporter of the Washington Post. I mean you historically you would you would put your money on the reporter at the New York Post, right? I mean the Washington Post. I mean they they've been educated that they're they're highly esteemed. They buy ink by the barrel. Sure, as they they're say. accomplished. But Portnoy proves to me, and that's where I was headed, Rev. Portnoy proves to me we don't have to be afraid of the Washington Post any longer or the New York Times any longer. As long as Elon owns Twitter and doesn't censor people's opinion. I mean, I believe Elon has algorithms, but I don't believe his algorithms favor one political thought over another. I think his algorithms find, I think Elon's algorithms put at the top of the fold things that people find somewhat interesting. I mean, I, I think. I mean, I do believe there are algorithms in place, but but I think the um, the way they operate is not to advantage one side of the political debate or argument uh, over the other. But uh, but Portnoy just obliterates. I mean, it's obvious who the smart person in that conversation is, and it's not the highly educated, highly esteemed, highly credentialed reporter at the Washington Post. It's a dude who started talking about sports starts something called Barstool Sports, sells it for a couple of hundred million bucks. And if I'm not mistaken, he's bought it back because it just didn't align with the corporate world. For like pennies on the dollar. Yeah, for I like mean, 20 cent on the dollar. So he's got his hundred million and he owns his baby back. Um, but they accused him of being misogynist and, and, and chauvinist and all these things that the media historically accuses people of. But but it's not, I mean, the media is not, they're, they're not after conservatives because Portnoy is certainly not a conservative. They're after malcontents. I mean, that's, I mean the, 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 the body politic in concert with a Washington Post, a New York Times, a Politico, the Hill.com, I mean, they're searching and seeking out these malcontents, these opinionated people who just won't go with the flow. They go against the grain and they, they, I mean, the weaponization of government, right? I mean, isn't that what the, the AG's hearing was about yesterday? The two standards of justice and the weaponization of government? And people like Portnoy now have the ability to defend themselves. Historically, Portnoy is toast. I mean, if the Washington Post comes after you, you're done. But, but instead of taking it on the chin, what does Portnoy do? He engages his millions of followers on his um, Twitter feed and I think he just obliterated, destroyed the credibility of the reporter who basically admitted, yeah, those things weren't true, but we did them to kind of instigate some sort of response. You're right. I mean, we made some of that up. We're journalists. We're reporters. But we do make things up. But we did it for the right reason. 
We, we, we made those things up in hopes we could get some sort of response from your from your sponsors. And, I mean, he just destroyed um, the Washington Post reporter. And I think it's further proof of, as Rev just said, you can argue with someone who buys ink by the barrel because they don't buy anywhere near as many barrels as they did <laughs> 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Thursday morning, 843-661-0937. Great television, senior national editor, White House correspondent John Decker is with us. John, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, I am doing great, Ken. Hope you're having a great week so far. I am having a great week. They're giving us plenty of fodder to discuss here <laughs> in the world of conservative yeah. um, talk radio. Let's begin with a uh, with a subject and issue that is very timely and I think very appropriate to lead with, and that is the Attorney General Merrick Garland. Um, I guess faced a, a congressional committee yesterday. Uh, it kind of went as I would expect did the Republicans attacked, the Democrats defended, and he said, I can't speak to some of the ongoing investigations. Was there anything revealing from your perspective that I didn't pick up on, John? Well, just uh, I, I think that there are a lot of questions that are, uh, still remain unanswered. Uh, and I think, I think it may have been Jim Jordan. It may have been another congressman. And in fact, the, there were questions that, were very similar to each other during the course of that hearing. But uh, the question as to why the position of the Department of Justice, the position of Merrick Garland changed just within a month's time and why that was. What was the impetus for changing the Justice Department's decision to name David Weiss as the special counsel? We still don't know, have a clear answer on that. Uh, as you point out, he did respond. Merrick Garland, the attorney general, did respond quite often to questions by saying, I can't get into that because of the ongoing nature of this investigation. Very frustrating, very lawyerly responses coming from the AG yesterday. Uh, but was there a moment, a smoking gun uh, of any kind that changes the equation in any way? I think it just uh, gives more impetus for Republicans to pursue their investigation, which they're going to do, which they uh, have scheduled the, the impeachment inquiry to begin uh, next week, the 28th of September, and yesterday only gave them more fodder, I think. And, John, whether it's uh, driven by Republicans, Democrats, you know, I said this morning, if I were able to ask Merrick Garland a question, if I were a member of Congress and had an opportunity to ask him a question, I would say two of three Americans find the government to not be trustworthy. Is that your fault, my fault, our fault? How do we repair that? I mean, that I just think that that is so central, John, to, to, to how we proceed forward, whether you're Republican or a Democrat, two or three Americans can't not trust their government to be to be straight up and honest. And, and once again, I do believe that's a bipartisan issue that both parties have to address at some point in time. Do you care to opine on that? Well, I do, you know, and that type of question really was not asked of the attorney general yesterday. You know, the nature of these hearings are very adversarial. But that would uh, prompt, I think, a thoughtful answer from the attorney general. And we don't we did not hear many of those yesterday. Uh, a thoughtful question, I think, would lead to a, a thoughtful answer. As you point out, as members of Congress pointed out in questioning yesterday, uh, there is a belief among a significant percentage of Americans that there is a two tier system of justice and getting the attorney general to weigh in on that that belief and what can be done to turn that around, I think, is a valid question. John, one of the issues that American conservatives celebrated was the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I said on the air one day, be careful what you ask for. Can the Republicans accept yes for an answer? 
federalism is on full display. States are making um, decisions. Some states are more conservative than other states. You would expect them to make uh, more pro-life and conservative um, decisions. But but Donald Trump is being, I'll, I'll say it, trying to have it both ways. But I mean, he's trying to be, you know, respectful of the Republican base while trying to better understand where independents are on the issue of abortion. He said some things on Meet the Press that I found a bit a bit rambling, uh, shall I say, and he's facing some blowback there. What, what do we make of that? Yeah, well, I think he's trying to get this pass uh, on the issue of abortion uh, and not respond to direct questions. And that is going to be so difficult. Uh, you know, this process to choose the Republican nominee is really just getting underway when you think about it. You know, we're four months away from the Iowa caucuses. Uh, there will be other debates, and those other debates will not have Donald Trump. So those individuals running against him on that debate stage that wish to be the Republican nominee, they're all going to go after Donald Trump, maybe with you know a few exceptions there, on the issue of abortion, because they are to the right of Donald Trump on abortion. And the Republican Party, I believe as a whole, is to the right uh, of Donald Trump on the issue of abortion. Remember, Donald Trump uh, used to be a registered Democrat. Donald Trump has donated money to Hillary Clinton. And this is where it's coming back to haunt him, those positions and actions that he took uh, on a very critical issue to the Republican Party. So uh, I think that the way you expressed it, Ken, is correct. He is trying to have it both ways. And it's so difficult when you're in the midst of trying to compete for the Republican nomination to have it both ways. You know, on abortion, uh, the the conservative America has been more pro-life than liberal America. Liberal America has been more pro choice and there, there's a, there's a genuine and sincere debate to be had about when a woman should be allowed to make that decision i mean that's for the states to decide but but the other interesting issue out there that i want you to give an opinion a report on is historically the republicans have been more hawkish they've been more interventionist they've been more supportive of the armed forces and making sure the defense department is adequately funded it seems now the democrats or, or the hawks in washington they're the ones you know not questioning the the, the commitments American Armed Forces makes to, uh, you know, to, to Zelensky and Ukraine, the most recent example, that's kind of a, a new phenomenon in Washington. And, and Joe Biden, President Biden, did meet with, uh, with Zelensky. And is that, I mean, from, from the outside looking in, it looks to me that the, uh, the Democrats are more hawkish than the Republicans. Is that the case? And what do we know about the meeting Joe Biden had, President Biden had, with, uh, with Zelensky? Well, the meeting with Zelensky is actually happening this afternoon. That's going to be in the Oval Office at the White House. Now, you know, he was up in the U.N., but he didn't actually meet with Biden up there. Uh, as to your point, uh, I, I think that's right. There is a vocal, very vocal, isolationist wing of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives in particular. If you were to I have a vote today in the U.S. Senate in terms of whether or not to support that $24 billion aid package that has languished in Congress. If you were to take that vote in the Senate, it would pass with 75 votes. So you'd have significant bipartisanship, and that's 75 at least. A uh, different situation in the House because you have at least a dozen House Republicans who would vote, no way, I am so against any additional aid for uh, Ukraine. And because of that vocal minority, it makes it that much more difficult to pass that aid package, given the narrowness uh, in terms of the way Republicans and Democrats are uh, situated right now on in the House of Representatives. So I think that's the best way to look at it. 
But there's no doubt about it that the Republican Party has become more isolationist over the years from its traditional approach as it relates to foreign policy and national security issues. John, what do we expect the Biden-Zelensky meeting to be centered upon? I mean, is it more foreign aid? Well, absolutely. I mean, that's the reason why Zelensky traveled from New York down to Washington, because he uh, views that aid package as perhaps in jeopardy. Uh, And so I think the meeting that I'm paying more attention to is not the meeting so much with Biden and Zelensky. They see eye to eye on on most issues. I think that the more important meeting is the one that Zelensky has with Kevin McCarthy, uh, who's the House Speaker, who's been, uh, quite frankly, I think you recognize this, he's had all types of positions on the issue of aid to Ukraine. He's been very wishy-washy on it, and we'll see what he says at the you know, conclusion of the meeting that he has with President Zelensky. Zelensky is meeting with members of both political parties when he travels to the Capitol, uh, and those meetings are, are the most critical ones in terms of trying, uh, as he wishes, to see that aid package supported and getting it to President Biden's desk for his signature. Very well explained. John, thank you for your time. Have a great rest of the week and weekend, sir. You too, Ken. Thanks for having me on today. Talk to you soon. Thank Bye-bye. you. Great television. Senior national editor, White House correspondent, John Decker. Rev really believes this is kind of a bonus uh, that we provide. John is inside the belly of the beast, so to speak. Um, interesting word, uh, isolationist. I mean, I would argue we're becoming non-interventionist. I don't know many isolationists, but, but that would be, you know, an interpretation inside the beltway. Outside right. the beltway, it would be non-interventionist. I am a loud and proud non-interventionist. I don't make any bones about it. I think America military involvement has put our nation's security more at risk than, than preserving. And, and I think a lot of young men and women are living completely different lives. They're not living at all because of politicians' decisions that genuinely didn't reflect American safety or security. I think there's a complicated debate. I think it's a uh, it's a, it's an essential debate to have about when American security is at risk. What America should do in regards to um, to global leadership. I do believe emphatically that America has a role, but but what role does America have is always been uh, my concern. And you know, I, I I'm kind of an anti-imperialist. I, I just don't think it's uh, it's America's job nor responsibility to police the world. I think the world is a big old complicated place that America can't police. We've tried, and how many young men and women aren't on planet Earth any longer? How many are living lives very different uh, than what they expected to be living at the age of 25, 30, um, 35? And I think politicians have made reckless, careless, and very self-centered decisions on, uh, on promoting or advancing American imperialism. And I think one party woke up. I mean, I think one party looked at the track record and say, look, the things we're voting on and the things we were told are just, they're, they're not one and the same. They're completely and remotely um, different. And, and I think, you know, um, the J.D. Vance's of the world, um, uh, the Josh Haldies of the world, the Rand Paul, give Rand Paul credit. I mean, Rand Paul ain't Johnny come lately to non-intervention. I mean, Rand Paul has been there since the beginning of his political career by saying, look, I believe America has a job when it comes to global affairs, but it's not to kind of align the world as it as it sees fit. And we've had uh, numerous discussions on the post-Second World War world and America, you know, being the preeminent superpower. Uh, we had a Cold War. We're having somewhat of a 
kind of a geopolitical uh, situation. I don't know that we in China, it's kind of interesting. I've read a lot about this and tried to, Ray Dalio has a lot to say about about the, uh, the, the China, the ensuing Chinese-American conflict and where some of the pressure points are, where we need to pay close attention. He's very informed. I mean, he's a, uh, an American business guy, made a lot of money, uh, has a lot of Chinese interest, and he understands some of the trade concept, some of the culture of, uh, of China, uh, how they've been able to merge or converge capitalism and communism. They, they've done it about as well as anybody ever has. Um, I mean, he goes back to the Nixon visit. He goes to the Gorbachev visit. I mean, he, he really gets down in the weeds of trying to better understand this, um, this conflict that he, that America finds itself in. And I, I just think when you look at, I know, I understand China has issues. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I'm not saying China is, you know, without problems, China has problems, no question about it. But, but I think when you look at the two nations, one is ascending and the other is descending at what rate? I don't know. I mean, I, Dalio doesn't know. And as much time and energy as he spent in trying to better understand it, if he doesn't know, I sure don't know. But he agrees philosophically uh, with, with the premise that, you know, of the two nations, uh, if you were buying, in other words, if you could, if you could, if you could long the USA and short China or, or long China and short the USA, you'd probably do the latter. I mean, if you were a wise investor, and you had a million dollars to spend, and it was all the money you had, and you had two options, and one is long America, short China, and the other is the you'd probably go long China, short short America. That sounds unpatriotic, but money doesn't uh, m- money doesn't obey patriotism. Money doesn't sing the pledge of allegiance. Money doesn't uh, bleed red, white, and blue. Money is money, and and I think financially, it would be a wiser bet. Um, I mean, I'd ask Rev this. I mean, it, it sounds unpatriotic when you, when you kind of as as a as a God fearing, red blooded American loyalist. I mean, I'm an American loyalist to the to the nth degree. But but I got to level with you. If all the money I had in the world had to be invested in one of two options, and one was long America, the other was long China, <laughs> I'd probably go long China because we just not exhibited the ability to be responsible. And, and effective in governing our nation's affairs. And that's, I mean, you know, when you think about, I mean, I'll give you a recent example. It's Fetterman. I mean, how do you bend the rules that have historically been in place for a slob? I mean, a slob who's never had a job. But, but that's in, just one example. But I mean, well, but that's the most recent example. And I think there's more to that than you could imagine. Um, you want to know what American entrepreneurship did yesterday? I don't know if you saw this or not. That? That there's some website that is selling hoodies with Senator on the front. I mean, it, it's like just a, a hoodie. Well, of course. Yeah, but it, well, that's America. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's the free market. Yep. That's the entrepreneurial spirit that does make us so unique and different. Uh, I think it's twenty nine ninety five for a hoodie that has Senator. But but it's, it's, it's almost like, and, and I go back to, if John Fetterman had got elected Senate to the Senate, knowing nothing about the decorum, I mean that kind of happened to me a little bit. I told you the first session of the South Carolina Senate I ever witnessed, I presided over, but I knew I couldn't wear jeans and a t-shirt. I mean, as, as much a dumbass as I am about things, I mean, I knew I couldn't wear 
a jean and t-shirts. Yeah, well, what if what if you would have said you didn't want to wear that purple robe? Well, I mean, that, 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 there's the um the 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 arrogance and the slob. I, there's there's more to Fetterman than you can imagine. You want to tell you what I th- believe of Fetterman? I mean, he's a slob. He's never held a job. Uh, his family's got money. They've taken care of him all of his life. I think Fetterman wears the hoodie and gym shorts because that's his interpretation of the working class. You see where I'm headed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's his interpretation of the working class. And is he trying to be relatable? I, I want to be one of them. I want to be a man of the people. So, so to be a man of the people, I, I got to hide my, you know, my, my um, privilege because he was raised not having to work. He's never worked a day in his life. He's dabbled in politics and done some other things. But um, his family's got money. They've taken care of him. He's a slob. He's an absolute slob. Forget his, you know, the, the, his mental state. I mean, his mental state is very obvious. But combine the mental state and he, him being a slob, and Schumer changed the rules for a slob who's never held a job. Who knew you had that? There was a certain decorum that goes along with being in the Senate. And you know, the the, the travesty in all this is the people of Pennsylvania decided to send a slob that had a stroke to be a member of the Senate. He gets there and. <laughs> And, and Schumer changes the rules. Well, and that's my question. I mean, no matter what you think of Schumer, why didn't Schumer say, dude, put on a suit? Put on a suit or not, don't come in here. Right. Why don't the voters of Pennsylvania revolt? I mean, that should, that, that's who should be embarrassed and ashamed of themselves, the voters of Pennsylvania that voted for a slob who's never held a job, that is trying to recover from a stroke, and now he's, you know, the, 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 the Democrats. I mean, I know why they've changed the rules. I can count. I mean, don't anybody call us, well, you know why they did it? Of course I know why they did it. If you know, I know. 51 beats 49 every time. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. I don't know if you saw this or not. Before we get to our guest, I don't know if you saw this or not, but there's some reporting on Twitter, um, so of course it's accurate, <laughs> um, that the pilot who ejected out of the, what, $80 million F-35 jet um, ejected because they got into some bad weather. I mean, that, that's something that's on, doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I mean, if, if we, if we spend $80 million on a fighter jet and bad weather <laughs> causes the pilot to eject, we need to reconsider, um, what, what some of the contracts stipulate. Anyway, I, I don't want that's Twitter's sphere. Take it for what it's, for what it's worth. But 85, you know, nearly a hundred million dollar jet should be able to endure some bad weather. Fair enough. They fly airplanes into hurricanes. Right? I remember a day, my dad all of his life um there was a period of time believe it or not my dad's pilot license got suspended um <laughs> really <laughs> and he continued flying despite uh, being suspended but in the early days of, of getting a little disoriented in some of our air travels we would fly around water towers to read the name of the town and then we would take not the scenic route but rather the highway follow route. the road yeah, we'd sure. follow the road to get from point a, uh, to point b but we didn't have a 80 million dollar Fighter Jet. Drew McKissick, SEGOP Chair, is with us and National Chair. Good morning, sir. How are you? Man, I'm doing well this morning. I am, thankfully, I'm not uh, in a fighter jet over Williamsburg County. Okay. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. It, it's, 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 actually, it's actually soggy bottom on the other side of Rogers Farm. Is this, um, <laughs> those, those would be the local landmarks that we're all familiar with. So, so That's Drew, why I got lost. You couldn't figure the landmarks. Th- there you go. I want to. I want to get. Th- this is less policy specific and more philosophical. 
but but what you think matters a lot to what the Republican Party in our state and nation do. Uh, that's a weighty burden, but you've earned the right to make some of those judgments and decisions. We talked about Twitter, and I decipher Twitter the best I can. I think some folks try to do the best job of telling the truth, and some don't. Uh, I host a four-hour radio show five days a week. I listen to some people, others I don't pay any attention to. Who and how do you decide to listen to? In other words, as we shape the success or failure of a political party, who says what that matters to, to you? Well, you know, and, and I guess the uh, uh, for any individual in the party, particularly people in leadership positions, I guess, uh, it depends on who you're talking to, for one thing. Uh, to me, anyway, for my part, you know, as a state party chairman uh, and now national co-chairman, you know, the people I'm going to listen to the most are going to be the ones who do the most. Uh, you know, we are, I mean, it's human nature, you know, in politics and because of the nature of politics and human nature mixed together, you know, it's a toxic mix sometimes. Uh, you know, we are black built ninja masters at complaining. And, you know, Lord knows we got a lot to complain about, don't get me wrong. Uh, I appreciate the people who not only complain, but are willing to do something about it, willing to do some work. Uh, you know, so the calls that are going to get returned quickest are the ones that I know, yeah, they complain, but they do the work. They get out there and do the job of the party. And when I talk about the job of the party, we've talked about this before, our job is winning campaigns. You know, everybody in politics has different jobs, the jobs specifically of the party, the party committees, the national committee, the state committee, the county committee. Our job is to win campaigns and do the things that make that possible, you know, raising the money, doing the organizing, doing the messaging. Those are the fundamentals, and people who do the work on that are the ones who I'm going to listen to the most uh, because, you know, I mean, your inbox gets full every day of things that have absolutely nothing to do with your job, and nobody's going to come back five years from now and ask me why I didn't do somebody else's job. They might want to know why I didn't do mine, uh, and so these things conspire to take away your time, uh, you know, and, and preoccupy you with something that, that doesn't help you get your job, the fundamentals of your job done. And so one of the hardest things you have to get used to as a, as a state party chairman, I tell new state party chairman this all the time, is, you know, figuring out what to let go and what to focus on. You've got to ruthlessly, and, and that means many times saying no, focus on your job because you've got a limited amount of time to do it. We've got a hard deadline. It's called election day or now election season, depending on what state you live in. Uh, and only so much time now to get it done. And you can be occupied with other stuff that does not help you get that done, or you can focus on the job. So those are the people that I'll listen to first. Okay. I don't want to say anything is inevitable because things happen that nobody saw coming. But in the most recent poll, and I looked yesterday, um, South Carolina, Iowa, has Trump at about 46 48%. So let's operate in the hypothetical for a second, uh, a kind of a whataboutism but, but I think there's a pretty good chance this does end up playing itself out. Let's say eventually Donald Trump becomes the nominee. He's not, but I, I'm just for argument's sake, let's assume he does. Nobody has the legal problems that Trump has. I mean, he, he will be in a, uh, on a debate stage or in a stadium having a campaign rally one day in a courtroom the next defending himself against uh, what I think is the weaponization of DOJ, but who am I? But, yeah. but, but, Drew, what responsibility? I mean, if Trump is the nominee, what responsibility does the RNC have in helping him defend himself, not on the campaign trail, but rather in these legal matters? 
Well, when you're talking about when we have a nominee, okay, so that which will be July, the end of July of next year, okay, that's when the convention is, that's when we officially have a nominee. Uh, so when we have a nominee, it is our job, obviously, to help our nominee. Now, you know, that will take a lot of different forms. Uh, when you start talking about, um, uh, let's say, for instance, legal, legal bills, uh, you've got, as you well know, you've got different types of campaign contributions legally in terms of how they get, how they're classified. Uh, hard dollars, soft dollars, uh, hard dollars are limited in smaller quantities, can be used for specific things. That's why we call them hard dollars, because they're harder to raise in, in a great amount. Uh, versus soft money, easier to raise in bigger amount, can be used for different things. So at the end, you end up in a conversation with, with any nominee about what do we need to do, what needs to get covered and paid for, who's got the best uh, pot of money to pay for what needs to get done, uh, and is easiest to raise in the most quantity. Uh, so all of that will get laid out at a certain point. You know, in the meantime, you've got this issue of, um, which, which is part of the whole, let's call it the Democrat lawfare strategy, you know, which is, okay, filing lawsuits, that's one thing. Uh, other suits that they bring against states when it comes to, you know, uh, voter laws, uh, lawsuits you're going to bring uh, now, say, against uh, the ability of the party to put whoever it wants on the ballot as its nominee. You know, you've got 16 states, I think, now where somebody has filed. South Carolina is now one of them uh, where, you know, some crackpot has filed a lawsuit saying, you know, you should not be able to put that candidate on the ballot. Uh, and so it's gonna, it is in the Republican Party's interest to secure our ability to nominate whoever the heck we want. I mean, that's the whole purpose of a party, to come together, agree on a candidate, get them on the ballot. Uh, and so defending that even beforehand is going to be something we're going to focus on. So, and that's where I was leading. So keeping Trump on the ballot is the responsibility of the RNC. Well, I mean, just be more specific about that. Keep protecting the right of the party to be able to put on the ballot whoever it wants to nominate is the responsibility of the party. Gotcha. In other words, you know, the voters, the Republican voters, are going to decide from state to state who they want their delegates to go to convention and nominate. The convention is going to nominate the person who is the will of the party. But in the meantime, this is the job of the party to protect our ability to do that a year from now and that it not be sabotaged, which is what liberals are trying to do uh, from state to state right now. Uh, you know, the uh, Republican National Committee uh, specifically uh, we'll be putting out, uh, let's see, what's the Latin term for it? Actually, the amicus brief, basically a friend of the court brief uh, in the Colorado case. You know, out of all these different cases that are dinking around out, out, out there right now, the Colorado one is the one that has the, let's call it the best liberal legal firepower, you know, in terms of the venue where it's brought and so forth. If we can shoot that one down, that probably goes to Supreme Court and it probably scuttles all the rest of this, you know, crap all around the country, to be honest with you. Uh, that's the one that we're focusing on. But the others, you know, and they, again, they just brought one here in South Carolina about a week ago, but, you know, it's from some crackpot out in uh, Texas, as I recall. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll intervene there if necessary, and we'll, you know, swap that down. But it's, it's our job to protect our ability to nominate whoever we want. Okay, let, let's stay here for a second. Um, college athletics is dealing with a kind of a newfound phenomenon called NIL. The name, image, and likeness allows the student athlete to participate in the, you know, the, the financial gain uh, commiserate the contribution he makes to the university. We can debate whether it's fair, unfair, what should be the number, what should be uh, the arrangement. But a lot of universities are concerned 
that the money some of their big donors have historically given to them, a percentage of that may go away to fund the NIL. Are you concerned because money's the mother's milk? You know that. I know that. Uh, Should the RNC be concerned that some of the heavy hitters, big donors are going to be asked to contribute money to help Trump defend himself, and that can make it more complicated to raise the necessary funds to compete in a presidential primary? Well, again, because you're talking about different pots of money raised for different purposes. So you have, you know, say, for instance, even on the RNC side, you know, the first, uh, let's see, what is it now? It was just adjusted for inflation, I think. $41,300 is the maximum hard amount you can give to the RNC uh, that can, we can spend on, let's call it campaign activities. And then you have a bucket beyond that in a larger quantity that can be raised for, let's say, uh, recount battles. And then beyond that, it can be raised for a legal fund. And then a little bit beyond that, it can be raised for a building fund, you know, taking care of the building and the office space and so forth. Uh, you know, and then you have the campaigns that raise, you know, money directly to the campaign that they apportion however they want. I think they do get a legal fund limit beyond their base limit. Uh, so all these are going to be exploited in terms of, you know, we're going to go around to different donors. We'll go to the donors who maxed out to whoever the nominee is and say, okay, you've maxed out to them, now max out over here. And then they're going to do it vice versa. Uh, but, you know, so in terms of being worried that, that, that the money would not be there to cover the basic campaign activities, no, because and, and let's, let's be honest. This whole legal bit and what's going on now, to a great degree, really is the campaign. It's, it's going to be a major part of the campaign going into next year uh, and a major part of their campaign effort, what they're trying to do. And I would say that they'll be bringing le- uh, they will bring legal um, cases probably going forward against anyone who happens to be a Republican nominee. Yeah, they'll be different, to be sure. But I'm just saying going forward, lawfare basically I think is going to be uh, basically a new front in the campaign wars. And I think that's just something we need to come to grips with. We're going to have to you know, end up having more intense legal strategies and legal funds raised uh, because from state to state, they'll be going around filing different, uh, uh, you know, crap lawsuits um, against whoever. I I think that even goes down from the presidential level. I think that's something we need to expect now in Senate races, congressional races, governor's races. Um, That's just where we're going. You know, (laughs) we we got a lot of good lawyers in the world uh, and a lot of bad ones. I don't think we need any more of them right there. I think we got enough. They always find find a way to make the make their uh, uh, themselves available for services. Uh, I mean, look, it's it's infecting everything. Uh, you know, business. You know, that's why insurance is so high. Well, now it's making its way over into politics. Quite frankly, I mean, that's just my personal opinion, but I think it's a good one. If if you're not a member of the donor class, and I'd love for you to for you to explain why is it important for somebody listening to our show doesn't have a corner office, doesn't have a private jet, it and it and it on, you know, Drew McKissick's radar. Why is it important for that person to invest 20, 25, 30, 50, whatever mm-hmm. that number is monthly to help defeat mm-hmm. liberal Democrats? Well, you know, so uh, for the party, from the party standpoint, I'll speak specifically to that. So state party chairman and RNC co-chairman now. And like I said earlier, the party committees have a very specific role. We've got a specific job to do. So, for instance, our job is not raising money to run TV ads 99% of the time uh, because candidates can buy TV time cheaper than we can. Uh, our job, more specifically, is to build the infrastructure. You know, So between elections, those two years between elections, let's call it a year and a half uh, between the elections, 
we're focusing on building up the personnel and the infrastructure, the tools and resources so that when we have a nominee, we built the highway that they can run on, so to speak. Uh, and that, that is what I call the unsexy work of politics. Nobody's really paying attention to it. You know, it, it's not as gratifying as being able to give money and be able to see an ad on TV to really, you know, just stock it to your opposition and make you feel good. Uh, this is this is the boring stuff, and nobody really notices it unless it doesn't get done. If it doesn't get done right, then you know next fall, you know that'll be the hey, you know the party didn't do X, Y, and Z. You know if we do it right, well then you know the candidates win, and of course they take credit for winning. I mean, it's, it's so I mean it's but it's the unsexy work of politics, and we've got a great uh, here in South Carolina donor group of the Elephant Club members, about fifteen hundred of them. Uh, statewide uh, that donate money pretty much every month. Some of them give annual dues. We use that to build the infrastructure, pay for personnel, pay for training, pay for, you know, all the, the things that the party committees at the county level and that our candidates will eventually need. And the RNC functions the same way. That's our job in the meantime. And, and again, it's not sexy, but that's the stuff that those 20 and $50 donors, et cetera, are paying for. Uh, and it makes it possible for us to do our job. Last question. Pennsylvania recently instituted uh, kind of a new law, I guess, or, or statute that says when someone registers, uh, when someone tries to get a driver's license, uh, they're automatically registered as a voter. Does that make Pennsylvania harder to win? And, and what do the RNC do or what does the Republican Party do in, in reaction to that action taken by uh, I think Democrat Governor Josh Shapiro really spearheaded that. Uh, uh, well, well, first off, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be a lawsuit there as far as that's concerned. That goes back to the, the voter rules and so forth we, we, we discussed. Uh, so, yeah, there'll be a lawsuit there, uh, no doubt about that. Um, this is something Democrats have tried. You know, they tried way back even nationally when Clinton was president, you know, uh, to make this stuff, you know, automatic. Um and, you know, the more people that you automatically have on the rolls, the more people that you have that you could potentially play games with in terms of fraudulent votes potentially being cast. Uh, so the voter rolls are at the heart of everything. Uh, so you want to protect that and protect the quality of it. Uh, and so, I mean, they, again, this is another matter of Democrats trying to change the rules of the game in various states around the country. Pennsylvania is obviously a battleground state uh, for the presidential race, uh, and that's why you see them doing that there. Well explained. Drew, thank you for your time, my man, and we'll talk next Thursday. Yes, sir. Have S a great one. Yes, Bye. sir. SCGOP chairman, co-chair of the National Party, talking about local, state, and, and federal issues. Um, I read yesterday that they believe, and some of the RNC lawyers believe, that they can litigate uh, the Pennsylvania situation to a point that it's not a factor in the 2024 election. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't understand, you know, what, what, what legal defense Pennsylvania will put up and what accusation the RNC will make. But, um, but there's about 1.6 million eligible but not registered voters in the state of Pennsylvania and the Republicans, or excuse me, the Democrats believe the more of those disinterested voters they can get registered, the better chance they have of winning. And, you know, you want to get real technical, monkeying around with elections seems to always advantage the Democrats. 843-661-0937. Mm -hmm. Take a break. Back in just 
a few moments. 843-661-0937. Mike Nunn of the Florence County Sheriff's Office is with us. Do we have a call? Uh, we do. Okay, let's go to the phone. We have Mike in Darlington. Hey, Mike, you're on. Oh, I, uh, I wanted to ask Drew a question, but I didn't get a chance to. I don't know that. I think you got the anything Drew knows. I know and more. So just just have <laughs> added it. I'll I... <laughs> okay. What are we doing <clears throat> to um, make sure that we don't make the the stupid tactical mistakes that we that uh, the Demo- that the Republican Party obviously made in the, in the last two elections? What are we doing to counter this uh, uh, mail-in registration? And more than a couple of legal shenanigans, because I I would I have a feeling that the Democrats would kind of ignore the law in a lot of situations. Thank you, Mike. I, I, I can speak to that. Here's what I know to be true: in the states governed by Republicans, they've outlawed some of the voting har- some of the ballot harvesting, and they've outlawed public money being spent in 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 the the financing of not not political action committees. I mean, you can't outlaw dark money. I mean, that's illegal. The Roberts Court decided that um, that corporations are people, and they have a right to First Amendment petition their government. Um, I mean, that that's 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 kind of a back of napkin legal briefing, but that's in essence what the Roberts Court decided. But the the Zuckerberg money was not a political action committee. I mean, that money was infused directly into the election commissions. That is now illegal in states governed by. Republicans. So the Republicans have addressed ballot harvesting to some degree, and they've addressed the private financing of elections. In states run by Democrats, there there are legal challenges and a lot of legal minutiae in the machine, but it's still suspect. I mean, it really and truly is. I am comfortable that Georgia is back red. And the reason I'm comfortable that Georgia, I mean, it's not overwhelmingly red. I didn't say it's South Carolina or Wyoming, but it's more red um, than than it was when Stacey Abrams had kind of a free run with Zuckerberg money and ballot harvesting. And and I and I want to say this: Stacey Abrams is a a strategist. I mean, she is an unbelievably adept <laughs> politico. She she knows uh, what to do, and she did a remarkable job. There, there's a little admiration in the weirdest way imaginable I have for what she was able to do in taking advantage of Mark Zuckerberg's investment in Fulton and Gwinnett County and the ballot harvesting. Um, but that's been, I think that's been fixed in Georgia. I don't think it's been fixed in, in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, nor Michigan, Arizona, Nevada. I, I haven't kept up with that, with that as much, but, but in essence, that's, um, you know, and, and I think the, the Republicans have to invest in ballot harvesting. I mean, if you're not in control of a state's government and you can't change the law, you kind of got to play by the rules. I mean, like my father said before I got into politics, you're getting into business now where there are no rules. And if there are no rules, you better play by the rules better than anybody. And I'm just saying the Republicans better invest in ballot harvesting, unsolicited mail-in ballots. I mean, they just got to, you got to fight fire with fire in some of these places that are still uh, suspect in chain of custody um, matters. Mike Nunn, Florence County Sheriff's Office. Is with us. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. So, so I'll do something I hardly ever do. I'll allow somebody else to dictate the terms and conditions of of this segment of the show. <laughs> uh, people with guns and badges tend to get their way more than people who don't have um, guns and badges. But is there anything specifically 
that you'd like to address our audience regarding law enforcement? Well, first of all, anybody thinks that uh, they're in control of this program uh, <laughs> is seriously mistaken. Uh, but no, a um, little public service announcement uh, today for the folks living in the Effingham area and Friendfield Road and uh, Effingham Highway, those around the uh, law enforcement center. You're going to hear a siren later on this morning. Uh, and we're testing our uh, jail escape siren. It's a test. Don't panic. Uh, it'll go on for about a minute. But uh, those of you in the Effingham area, if you hear that uh, today, this morning, it's a test. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. And load your gun and take matters into your, into your own hands. Okay, I got a question for you. I didn't know you had one of those sirens, so thanks for telling me. So, so there is, um, I mean, the, the, way, I mean the, the, the crash site ends up being in Williamsburg County. But there was some uncertainty for a period of time where the Florence County Sheriff's Office got involved. Tell us as much or little as you'd like about the, um, the, the uh, it's not a crime scene, the, the, the wreckage, the debris field of the, of the crashed $80 million um, jet. Well, yeah, so, so the, uh, the headline story should be um, <laughs> Vietnam-era helicopter uh, finds $80 million <laughs> fighter jet crash site. Uh, you know, our guys really did a great job. Um, we were part of the uh, incident command uh, that was set up. Um, those of you who are familiar with FEMA's incident command system, uh, anytime there's an incident or, or a problem that crosses jurisdictional lines, uh, you set up a, a incident command, bring all the stakeholders together in one room, those who can allocate resources, and you plot a strategy, and uh, you really act as one unit toward a certain goal. And we were we did that. That was set up with the with the military, with uh, emergency management, the sheriff's office, and these types of things. So, um, <clears throat> in conjunction with the uh, United States military, uh, United States Air Force, Naval CIS, uh, United States Marine Corps. Um, firefighters, you know, the whole nine yards, we were a part of that and, um, uh, worked in conjunction with the military to fly areas that, um, they thought might, um, have the crash site. Um, there were, uh, multiple military aircraft, fixed wing aircraft flying, uh, larger area grids. Uh, the helicopters were a little more focused, um, because they can hover and, and, and cover some of the, um, uh, uh, smaller areas. <clears throat> and, um, you know, um, our guys, uh, just did a great job and about, uh, I guess it was about five, five thirty on Monday afternoon. Um, they were able to locate the crash site, which was very difficult to find. Now, you know, from what I hear, you're certainly no expert and I would defer to all the military. This, this 30, this F 35, especially the Marine variant, is a hover. I mean, it, it can take off vertically. It can do all kinds of things. Most sophisticated aircraft in the world, so they say. Eighty million bucks a piece. It ought to be pretty, pretty well, snazzy, yeah. right? <clears throat> so, um, anyway, it's made out of uh, uh, at least the outer skins made out of a composite material, part of which makes it stealthy and not, you know, showing up on radar. And apparently, when that thing hits a solid surface, it just shatters. So instead of big huge pieces of chunks of metal like you would see in some other uh, aircraft uh, crashes. Wasn't a whole lot to be seen here. And so um, that's one of the things that made it more difficult to find. You know, the issues about why it uh, 
found its way here and how and how fast and that type of thing we'll leave to others but uh you know our guys did a great job being part of that operation and we're real proud of what they did mike is it fair to say that would be an example I mean, the public complains about things you need and you don't need and taxpayers have a right to complain about I mean, they fund these these entities of government these agencies of government but i remember my time on council I mean, it's obvious we need patrolmen, we need guns, we need, you know, the basic fundamentals to keep a community safe, but there are certain things that you know you won't need, but every so often you just feel you need them. Is that kind of the, I mean, is that, is that an example of that balance of, um, we know we need manpower. We know we need patrol cars because we use them every day, that there's something over here that we may not use for a while but we really believe the citizenry of Florence County are better served if we indeed are allowed to have that. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, there's a lot of our equipment we hope we would never use, wish we never had to use. But um, the reality of the world is occasionally you're going to need that type of um, equipment. Think about our ballistic vehicle. Um, you know, when we have hostage situations or barricaded suspects or uh, some other um, event, um, we, we need to be able to respond to that in an appropriate way. And, um, you know, again, helicopter, uh, gives us a dimension, uh, to find a missing child or a wandering Alzheimer patient or, uh, you know, to, uh, hover over a crime scene. Uh, there, there are a myriad of, uh, uses for that. We don't use it all the time, but when we need to, it's, it's there, it's available in a situation like this, it, uh, it really, uh, showed up well. So is training a big part of that? Here's a piece of equipment that we hope we don't have to use until we have to use it. But, but I mean, we don't just all of a sudden, Hey, run, crank that thing up and let's go. I mean, how involved is the training and how frequent is that training? So, you know, we're pretty lean when it comes to that. Um, our two certified helicopter pilots don't sit around waiting for a call to go, uh, um, you know, respond on the helicopter. They are otherwise fully engaged doing other things in the sheriff's office have big responsibilities uh on an ongoing basis but when the bell rings and somebody needs to fly that bird they do it uh but it's by no means their their primary job so um uh, but yet it, it takes a fair amount of maintenance um and their training has to be continually updated but um we believe based on uh, the effectiveness that that it's worth it and the hostage situation training, I mean, that's something you guys, you, you don't just wake up one day and somebody's been taken hostage and make it up as you go. There's formal training. Every week, our SWAT team trains on how to uh, best address those types of issues, uh, active shooters in schools and other things. I mean, we, we constantly train for the worst, hoping never to have to utilize that type of training. And we appreciate that um, training and hoping to, to never have to use it. So once again, um, let, let's make sure of this. We, we don't think anybody's going to escape prison, but there's going to be a, 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 a I don't want to say a false alarm, but there's going to be a, uh, to make sure everything works as it should. Sure, there are all kinds of requirements and regulations and things that we have to comply with, um, you know, and you know, you have to plan for the uh, unexpected uh, or the inevitable. And so uh, the, the siren uh, is part of that. What do you advise the public to do if we don't have a false alarm, if indeed someone does escape? What, what, 
in, in close proximity to the, what, what do you advise the public to do? Well, certainly in working in conjunction with emergency management, we have the ability to reach out to uh, specific areas of the county by telephone um, to uh, send an alert. Um, hey, you know, there's a possibility of an escape prisoner or some issue in your area, you know, uh, please lock your doors and windows, uh, be vigilant. If you see something, uh, out of the ordinary contact law enforcement, and we have the ability to make those texts and calls also on the sheriff's, uh, free app, um, for the FCSO app, we can push those notifications out on that as well as on our Facebook and, uh, press release. Okay. Well explained. Thank you. Thank you guys. We'll have a take, great day. We'll take a break. We'll be back. In just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. We have with us in the studio, Lena Butler of the South Carolina Highway Patrol. Good morning, ma'am. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I am doing well. So I have friends that tell me, hey, the train ran into my friend. And I said, no, the train didn't run into your friend. Your friend ran into the train. The train follows the tracks, and it doesn't have any, any choice but to do that. But we do have issues on the highways involving trains and you're here to talk about an operation lifesaver that i guess is trying to educate people about train safety or train automobile safety yeah that's true this week the south carolina highway patrol you know we're we're partnering with um operation lifesaver and you know that's just to bring awareness to the motoring public about uh the safety when it comes to a, a train and crossing the railroad tracks so, Ms. Butler, it's it's we, we all know what to do when the big arms swing down. We stop. We wait for the train to go by. But we have a lot of rural roads in South Carolina exactly. that don't have um, some of those. So, so if you are, I mean, if you're in harm's way, in other words, if you misgaged, if you made a mistake, if you if your car became disabled on, on a train, what are we supposed to do to make sure um, something terrible doesn't happen? Okay, if your vehicle, you know, if it ever stalls on the track. We ask that you get out the vehicle, you know, get away from the train tracks. Even if you don't see a train, you know, we've got, there's an emergency sign um, is located. Um, it's located there at the track and it is called uh, the emergency notification system sign. And it is to report any emergencies. You know, if you have an emergency on the track, if your car stalls, and once again, you know, we ask that you get out and you locate this number because if you call this number, you know, it has the crossing USDOT number and it's used to notify the railroad of an emergency um, or warn them if there's a device malfunction. And that number is made, I mean, it, it's on the cross arms, right? It is. Uh, see, I didn't know that. I mean, mm -hmm. So, so in, uh, I guess what I'm asking is call this number even before you call 911 because they may be able to. Trains are big, heavy machinery. Exactly. I mean, they don't yes. stop like a car does. It takes a long time. So if you notify this number, they in turn contact the, the railroad mm -hmm. and could potentially get the um, the conductor made aware of what's out there that he may not see yet. That's, that's true because, you know, trains, you know, they can't stop like cars. You know, even if you don't see a train on the track, you know, it's beneficial that you call that number because, once again, Trains can't stop, you know, the way cars do. Um, and also, you know, if you're crossing a track and if there are multiple tracks, you know, you wait for the train to pass. Then you watch out for the second train on other tracks approaching from either directions. 
And also, you know, these just these are just a few quick trick, quick tips, you know, for motorists. You know, trains and cars don't mix. And also, if you see a train, you know, trains now, they're closer and they're faster than you think. So, you know, just be aware that trains can't stop quickly and never go around the Lord gates. And, you know, and some of the good old boys I grew up with would argue, I know when the train comes and when it doesn't come. Well, trains run on different schedules. Exactly. Always expect a train. Always, always expect a train. And mm-hmm. if you get in an argument, if you're driving a car or truck and you get in an argument with a train, guess what? Train wins um, n- nearly Every all time. of those. Every so time. so we're just we're encouraging people to take train. I mean, like you said, trains and cars don't mix. Mm-hmm. So let's not try it. That's let's right. just be real careful uh, as we proceed around uh, some of these crossings and train tracks. Once again, explain that. I, I just got to believe that very few people know there's a number out there uh, on on these on these cross arms that you yeah. can make the railroad company made that you can make them aware. Yeah, that's right. It's there at the cross books and it is blue and white, you know, and on that sign it, you know, it tells you to report a problem, you know, or an emergency. And then there's the number and there's also um, on that sign, you know, it has the USDOT number on that as well. You know, that's the, uh, notifi- the emergency notification number that the motorist should call if they do have an emergency. Okay. Well explained. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you as well. Have a good day. Thank you. Um, do we have a caller? We do. Okay, let's go to the phone. We'll shift gears, and we're jumping around here a good bit, but I'm um, trying to shuffle all of these public safety people in and out of the studio. Um, yeah, she, she can. She doesn't have to stick around with this boring nonsense. She can go uh, make the highways and byways <laughs> or hang uh, safer. Uh, or, or hang out. Thank you. Uh, let's go to the phone. Bob in Florence. Morning, Bob. You're on the air. Hey, thanks, guys. Good morning. Um, Ken, I was looking at my MSN news feed this morning, and uh, there was a a news story about the F-35 crash, and apparently one of the folks that lived in that in that community uh, was was interviewed, and they said that they had observed the plane to crash. They were standing outside with their children or grandchildren, and they saw the plane go down. And so I read that, and I said, well, that's peculiar. I said, well, why did it take 28 hours for anybody to admit that they'd found the plane? When apparently there was, there were, if the story's true, that they witnessed it, and did they not call anybody? Have, have you heard anything about that? I have not. Um, the the only the only firsthand account I've heard is the guy that said he was taking a shave, and he heard this <laughs> this wheezing, whistling sound, and it kind of makes the noise, and it did sound like James Brown, to be honest with you. But I've not seen that story. I'll try to dig in and see what I can find out, but I've not seen that story you're talking about. Well, well thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll keep digging, too. Maybe I'll find something. There, there you go. Um, dig around on that Internet. We'll get to the bottom of it. Uh, I think there's a, there's a lot about this story we don't know. I mean, of course there is. I mean, but, but this, it really and truly goes back to what Merrick Garland was confronted with yesterday when a member of Congress said, and this is the question I would have asked. I mean, if I were given the opportunity, and I understand the caucus gets together and, and Congressman Fry gets his set of questions and Jordan delegates some of the uh, responsibilities to this member and that member. He's a little more articulate. He's a little more understanding of the law. Uh, he's a little more good old boy. You know what I mean? And, and it's somewhat of a production. But I think the most important question, I mean, if, if, the, if Congress is serving the American people and the AG is genuinely interested in equal application of justice, the question should have been, Attorney General Garland, 
66% of Americans don't find us to be trustworthy. Is that your fault? Is that my fault? Is it the president's fault? Is this the former president's fault? And how do we make that better? Because I'm telling you guys, we need to be skeptical of our government, but we don't need to be um, convinced they're on the take. I mean, the equal application of justice is paramount. I mean, it is a bedrock of our existence as a nation. And when 66% of American people believe that one president is getting treated a little different than the other is, I mean, that's fundamentally, I mean, that you, you can't exist. You can't continue um, governing a nation if that's the case. There, there, there's going to be disagreement. There, there's going to be passionate disagreement about things to do or not do and who's in charge and who should be in charge. But when 66% of Americans believe the law applies to Dave Baker a little differently than it does Josh with a weird last name or Ken, uh, pronounce your last name, Josh. Vandernord. I told you it's weird. Um, <laughs> you just confirmed uh, what, what I'd argued or, or stated. Um, say it again. Vandernord. It's just as weird the second time you say it as the, <laughs> the first time you say it. Dave <laughs> Baker. I mean, that, that's, uh, you know, that's a good old that's American. An American. Yeah, name that's right an American there. name. Not, not as easy as Ken yeah. Ard. Yeah. Where, where, where are you from, boy? <laughs> I'm from Charlotte, but uh, the name sounds like a Charlotte name. Um, th- th- the name is, is Dutch. This is um, racially insensitive, but I'm gonna say it anyway. It's like, come on, man. We talked about that this morning. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna do that. Uh-oh. So there's a what is it? Family Guy, the, the cartoon. Uh, you know, the crude, crass cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what's what's the guy's name? I've never watched it, but I saw something on YouTube one day about insensitivity, and you know. Uh, I don't watch it. I don't know. Anyway, Peter Griffin. Okay, th- there you go. Anyway, he's in a doctor's office, and he sits down, and, you know, uh, an Asian-appearing cartoon figure sits beside him, and he says to the uh, to the person, they strike up a conversation, and he says, what are you, Japanese or Chinese? <laughs> and the Asian person says, I'm actually um, from blah, 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 blah. That is a tiny island nation, 80 miles off the coast of such and such and 40 miles due south of such. Let's just say Fiji. I don't remember if it's Fiji or not, but let's just say for argument's sake it was Fiji. And he continues to explain the, you know, the, uh, the location of Fiji, logistically how you get there. And, and the guy looks back and says, well, what does that make you, Chinese or Japanese? <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, nice. I, mean, and, I mean, you know what the, I mean, the producers of that show are trying to be as crass and crude as they as they possibly can. <laughs> so that's that's kind of the way the good old boys look at it. You know, what what does that make you, Chinese or Japanese? Um, Josh can't be a good old red blooded American with, with a name like that. But these days, you know, if comedy offends somebody, they'll cancel you. Well, to be sure, and I mean, I found it humorous. I think that's right. very funny. Is it insensitive? Yes, but comedy in nature, to some degree, is exactly. insensitive. I mean, it's um, it's supposed to kind of provoke. I don't know if you saw this or not. Uh, my youngest son sent me a George Carlin bit yesterday about um, the illusion, the illusion of choice. I, I may try to find that, and we'll play it in the next segment. But Carlin basically argues um, how little choices the American people have in regards to some of the major decisions. I mean, I've said before, if I wanted a, you know, a cotton shirt, there's a hundred different places I could go. There's a thousand different online sites that I could shop. But if I want to pick leader of the free world, it's either or. And, and I think Carlin uses bagels as an example. Um, 
you know, if, if I want to choose some of the major fundamentals of how our nation is governed, I got this guy or that lady, you know, but if I want a bagel, <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a thousand different bakeries out here in New York city. Mm-hmm. And he says, Americans have been hoodwinked. We don't have choice. We have the illusion of, of choice and Carlin, you know, how, I mean, he's a uh, comedic genius. I think we can all agree to that was, I think he's yeah. passed away now, oh, but yeah. I mean, he was an absolute comedic genius. Um, probably one of the rarest comedians ever. I mean, he had a degree of intellect in his comic routine that was j- just overwhelming. I mean, I'm serious. When, when I listen to Carlin, and I do this a lot, I mean, he's still one of the most interesting. He's profane. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's insensitive. There's no doubt about it. But he's he appears to me, never met the guy, don't know what he made on the IQ test, but he appears to me to be highly intelligent. Resnodding is I've him. always thought that. I mean, just a yeah. highly intelligent guy who happened to enjoy making people laugh and was real good at it. Um, insensitive, profane, um, you know, irreverent, but but unbelievably, unbelievably brilliant in his, in the way he <laughs> intertwined today's culture and society. And, I mean, he does the list of words you can't say, you know, and Rev's given me full uh, full – I mean, I, I know what not to say on the radio. I know <laughs> yeah, he pretty uh, much identified him. Yeah, I, I asked Rev one day. I said, you know, what would happen if the owners got this and the owners got that and the owners got this and the and you know and I, I said, well, I'll just I'll just say that word you said not to say <laughs> ten times and they'll fire me. You know, <laughs> if you're trying to get fired, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're trying to get fired in this business, it's real easy. Uh, you just say a certain word or two or it three. Wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. Well, I mean, somebody... it, uh, it would not be, would it? <laughs> I mean, you, you've told me stories of personalities that were thought they were exempt from the rules of radio, and they pushed the envelope and pushed and pushed and pushed, and the next thing corporate says, you're not worth the risk, man. I mean, you've got a big audience, and you've got a lot of ratings, but good Lord, every time we turn around, there's some FCC lawyer calling us on the phone saying, I've got this complaint or that complaint or, uh, or another complaint. Has that line moved? I mean, is that, you know, the, 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 the line of decency and what's – accepted or not what what's normal or not has that line moved mm, it it I don't, and nothing official obviously there's not there's not a memo that comes out and tells you that but i think culturally you, you'd have to say it has yeah i mean you some, some, some of these words that were not publicly acceptable have become somewhat routinish and uh you know i don't watch a lot of sitcoms i mean i just don't um i watch seinfeld reruns because i love my wife and she loves seinfeld and you know we kind of we, we rally around that um, well, here, here's here's the story. A lot of people in this area, in the PD, might remember Charlie Walker. He was yeah, a legendary yeah. radio guy Knew on well. WDKD in King Street, and uh, and it was well known. He he really was, I think, the first or only person that cost the cost the owners the license of the radio station. And this was back in the '60s, and it's because he said the word "ass." In, in I just 60s. said it. Yeah. Okay, I just said it. Uh, but in the 60s, he said it, and that was thought at the time to break community standard rules. I mean, I think there were trials. I heard him tell the story before. They, they, they took him to court, and I think the owners of the radio station lost the license because of what he did. He was a character. Yeah. I mean, he was an absolute was. character. I knew him well. I mean, I knew Mr. Charlie, big Clemson fan. I was a big Gamecock fan. And uh, the, the, the way I got to know Charlie Walker was – he would always cover local sports. And we had pretty good baseball teams in the day. And our baseball team would make a run to the playoffs. 
And Charlotte would come to Pamplico and drum up sponsors to carry and broadcast the Raider baseball games. And that was a big deal to us. I mean, playing on the radio, wow. Uh, so, so Charlie would come to, to my dad's business, my uncle's business, you know, the uh, BNC Fuel Company. I'm calling names of businesses, Marshall Lumber Company that I grew up with. And they would all agree to pay whatever it cost. And Charlie would set up a little, I mean, you would know more about this than I would. I set up a little table and some equipment and, uh, you know, fly from Bamberg. You know, the Bamberg Earhart, Hannah right. Pamplico Raider baseball game. And, I mean, we thought we were, I mean, you know, nobody had a cement pond, but we thought we'd really arrived <laughs> when, when, when that was the case. But that's how I got to know um, Charlie. And, and, I, and I, you know, I, I went to a Christmas party with a friend of mine, and he was always there. And we talked Gamecocks and Tigers. You know, we, we'd always talk. He loved the, the Tigers, and I loved uh, the Gamecocks. But you're right. I mean, that, that was – um. That word was inappropriate. That, that's an example of how things have changed. Well, I mean, to, to the point about sitcom. I know for some stupid reason, I ran out of something to do at the beach, and I'm sitting down, and uh, television's on a sitcom, and they said three or four things, and I'm like, what is this, HBO? <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, right. what, am I, I mean, I'd like check the channel. Like, is this HBO? Are we getting HBO? Are we getting it free? Is this free weekend or whatever? Because I don't pay for HBO. But, I mean, the words... And, you know, the visuals and the optics, I'm like, wow, it's, um, it's different than in, than in the, uh, in, in the good old days, but, uh, eight, four, three, six, six, one, oh, nine, three, seven is our number. We're rambling about, um, with no coherence at all, which it's is kind of what we do a normal <laughs> Thursday normal morning. <laughs> yeah. A normal Thursday morning, um, podcast. Are we dropping a podcast, publishing a podcast today? Uh, do it tomorrow. Tomorrow. Did one so, yesterday. Okay. And- did one yesterday. We'll do one tomorrow. Um, the one yesterday was about, I can't remember. The one, um, the one yesterday? Yeah, the one the one we published yesterday was about, oh, uh, so you don't remember either. Yeah, we'll do, the one we do uh, for tomorrow is NIL. Yeah, we, we talked extensively about the NIL and uh, the NCAA's reluctance to give in and uh, their reluctance to not give in ended up costing them a, a fundamentally realignment. Talking about the uh, Republican Party and a generational realignment college football might be in a bigger generational realignment than the grand old party. Eight. The, the one that, that dropped yesterday was about EV batteries and okay. clean energy. Are, are batteries, and uh, is that actually clean energy? Yeah, you got the power side of the battery, you've got the storing side of the battery, and you've got this lithium gel that transfers, you know, from the storing side uh, to the powering side. Um, we kind of explained that the best way. We know how. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. We've talked a little bit about uh, what happened yesterday on Capitol Hill. House Judiciary Committee um, had a hearing. You could call it a grilling of um, Attorney General Merrick Garland. Uh, the, the theme of the meeting was the weaponization, or not, of the DOJ. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you, sir? So what would be the postmortem of the um, the House Judiciary Committee yesterday and Attorney General Merrick Garland? Well, I think one of the moments that stood out was that he was really pressed over the hiring of David Weiss and the appointing of David Weiss as a special counsel in the Hunter Biden investigation. He was grilled by uh, Congressman Mike Johnson about whether or not he's ever talked with or spoken to the president about the investigations into his son. And Garland said no. But, the, you know, when he was asked about whether or not there 
been any coordination with him and the FBI about it, he really didn't have too much of an answer when it came to that. So, you know, he, he obviously wasn't going to answer a lot of questions. I think we went into that knowing that, that he wouldn't. But, yeah, you know, I think we're kind of exactly where we were going into that meeting as we were coming out of it. But, but Ryan, the scary part of this to me, and, and I, I can be as guilty of being a partisan as anybody, and I don't think I'm a hack, <laughs> but I am a very opinionated radio show host who served in politics. That would make me partisan mm-hmm. by nature. But, but the, the concern I have is there's nothing, nothing was accomplished yesterday to, to increase the confidence people have in our government. And a representative republic requires a certain level of trust the American people have in those who have the authority to govern. And I didn't see anybody try to address that in any way, shape, or form. I'm not asking you to opine on that, but I would have loved that to be somewhat of a contributing story to that back and forth. Yeah, and I think Garland tried to make that, that, that claim in his opening statement, saying, you know, I'm not the president's uh, lawyer and I'm not the uh, Congress's prosecutor. But at the same time, you know, whether or not his statements there had any impact on the people in that hearing or the people who are watching at home, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine that this was something that really moved the needle any way, way shape, or form. Very well explained. Ron, thank you for your time, sir. Have a great day. Hey, have a good one. Thank you. And I really believe, and look, man, I can be as guilty of partisanship and hackery as anybody, and I can play for keeps with the best of them when it comes to, you know, painting my side, the you know, the good guys and your side, um, the bad guys. But I hope the American people, I hope there's a consensus with the American people that government has to, I mean, it's it's healthy to be skeptical of government. I mean, it's un- government needs to, to be challenged. Government needs to be questioned. Government needs to be held held accountable. It has enormous authority over all of our lives in, in a myriad multitude of ways. But but at the end of the day, the American people have to believe that when government gets it wrong, it was not intentional. We thought this was the right amount to spend on education. We thought this was the way to fund infrastructure. We believed sincerely that the investments made in Ukraine were legitimate and in our best interest. But, but that's not where we are. People believe in America today that the government is intentionally and, and, and you know, punitively going after some groups of people instead of um, treating groups fairly. And I don't know how you put that genie back in the bottle. I mean, that's, a, that's kind of an evolution. We didn't get here overnight. We're not going to get, you know, out of here overnight. But, but representative republics and democracies require a certain degree of trust that people in power are not going to abuse that power in the name of political expediency. And, and I, I didn't, I didn't detect any of that um, yesterday. And and Garland came out to me. I mean, my words Rev, were bitter and vindictive. Mm-hmm. I, I told you this morning, I understand it. I mean, he, he was still passed s- over to be still settling yeah, scores. I mean, he had a Supreme court justice appointment in the palm of his hands and Mitch McConnell did something that I still don't think was right. I mean, I'm glad he did it. I mean, I, I'm I'm extremely thankful for what Mitch McConnell did, but I don't believe it was the right thing to do. I mean, the president has a right to pick his Supreme Court justice. Obama was the president. McConnell, being the uh, the kind of the master strategist of the way those chambers work, figured out a way to slow walk it. Trump wins, and you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, and the rest is history. It is the Trump Supreme Court. So I understand the bitter and vindictive nature. But some way, somehow, you got to put that in your pocket and do your job of being impartial and fair-minded in the applying 
of justice. Mm-hmm. Wayne Mully. Um, well, Rev, I'm sorry. You'd probably rather introduce him than I because this is where you <laughs> score all of your brownie points. Um, yeah, Mr. Mully yeah, is what I call uh, Yeah, Well, I figured that. I mean, <laughs> did I dress him the way you want him to dress, Rev, or do that I need to do it? a little casual. I'm going to make fun of my last name. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Vice President Mulling, he's well, I mean, VP of uh, Community Broadcasting. Well, I mean, you call him, I call him boss man. Yeah, uh, Wayne is the boss man, and he sticks his head in the door uh, occasionally, needing to be on our airways, and he's certainly always welcomed here. Um, radio's kind of twofold. They're traditional revenue generators, and there are non-traditional revenue generators. This company has done exceptionally well at keeping the community in mind. I mean, there's no doubt there's financial benefit for our company. That's what we're in the business to do. Um, but it's always about the community. And one thing that has taken a kind of a life of its own is the South Carolina Bridal Showcase, which is kind of Wayne Mulling's baby mm-hmm. and something he takes seriously. They he have a big here. time, no question about it. So um, good morning, sir. How good are you? Good morning. Good morning, guys. Good, 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 to see good morning, you. boss man. Uh, <laughs> how are you? I'm good. But, but, but in all honesty, this is something you really sank your teeth into, yeah, and it's become a big deal. Yeah. Uh, moved here about seven years ago, and we had done the same show in Louisiana for about 14 years, and it was the largest event of its kind in the state. And now this is our sixth year, and it's already the largest event of its kind in the state of South Carolina. And I have no doubt that Sunday will be the biggest yet. Our pre-event ticket sales are through the roof. So, you know, that's encouraging to me, and it's uh, – it's just going to be a phenomenal event. Going to be at the Florence Center uh, Sunday from 1 to 5. And the South Carolina Bridal Showcase is what? So it's a one-stop shop for all brides-to-be. I mean, if you were planning on getting married and you start thinking, what in the world, I'm, what all do I have to get? This is one place where you can secure everything you need in one place. So we have everything from photographers and videographers and bakers and tuxedo providers and we'll have wedding dress shows and uh florists that'll be there officiants that'll be there i mean anything and everything um uh, uh, people that provide food for the uh, uh for weddings i mean just anything you can think of we probably have one of the largest group of vendors that we've ever had i think somewhere around 90 this year will be there and it's going to be phenomenal. And, and Wayne, you've always impressed. You don't look at these as vendors and corporations. These are partners. They are. I mean, we're kind of in this thing together. And you can tell that by the number that come back yeah, year after right. year after year. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, uh, it's the thing I wanted to create is something very professional. There are people that put on shows like this that really become more like a Tupperware party at home than it is something very professional. And all of our people that come, they're very professional. And uh, the the uh, the the wedding parties that come uh, just are amazed at the amount of people. And and the thing about it is, we've got vendors that have that are coming from Nashville, from Charlotte, from Charleston, and uh, Augusta. I mean, from from everywhere, uh, Atlanta, people that provide services and needs that brides to be are looking for. So if you're someone out there interested in weddings, yeah, Sunday's your day. It is the day, one and, o'clock. And how can people? Um, I mean, do you buy a ticket at the gate? Do you just wander in? How does that work? So you can get a ticket at the box office on Sunday. Now I will tell you that the time to get a ticket is now, because there's a couple dollar savings if you get it pre-event. You can just go straight to scbridalshowcase.com, and you can click on the tickets, and you can buy your tickets right there online. You get them in your email or 
you know, cell phone, and you can present that the day of. But we will also be selling tickets at the at the show event. Usually there's a big, long line, so I encourage people to get them early. You save a couple of bucks, and, uh, you know, you don't have to stand in line. Good deal. Yeah. Do you want to explain about the cake dive? See, that's the big See, draw. I didn't want to yeah. say that because I didn't know if we were having it again. Yeah. Oh, so we yeah. are having it yeah. again. So we have what's called a monster cake dive. Uh, Icing Inc., one of our local uh, partners that works with us every year, will make a 25-foot-long wedding cake. And, I mean, this thing is decorated. It's gorgeous, 25 feet long. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And in that cake, they put a little ring. And so all these brides-to-be get to crowd around this table, and we blow the whistle. And when we say a cake dive, buddy, that's what it is. Kind of like, like mud wrestling? It is just <laughs> like that. And the winner the winner gets something like a $10,000 wedding Wow. Package. Yeah, so it's huge. People come just to see that. And weddings are expensive. Yes, they are. I mean, they, they, they're unbelievable. But it's a once-in-a-lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well, for some, it's a once-in-a-lifetime. For yeah. others, it's more than a once-in-a-lifetime. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> a lifetime ordeal. Um, and our local companies have been so supportive yep. in, in their sponsoring. And it's and it's a lot of folks who have aligned with community broadcasters on other sorts of community-minded yep. endeavors. We, we have a vendor social usually a couple of weeks before the event just to get to talk to all the people, the vendors. And we have a number of them that have been in it all six years, and they just keep coming back because it brings them a lot of customers. And that's Sunday from 1 until till 5 till five at the Florence Yep, this Center. Sunday. Okay. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, guys. Rev, you want to do – I mean, anything else you got to add? Uh, no, I just okay. – <clears throat> I guess I would add that uh, Wayne did a great job, as always, <laughs> with his segment here, and I think you're very concise and clear in your explanations. You want to mention the title sponsor for this event, yeah. too? Is, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we want to point out that Southern Celebrations at Collins Grove, a uh, great uh, – been a longtime sponsor yes, of this sir. event, too. So we appreciate them and, and all of the sponsors and vendors. No question about it. We'll take a break. We'll be back. In just a few moments. 843 A couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Olin in Myrtle Beach. Good morning. You are on the air. Good morning, guys. Um, U.S. Navy retired originally from uh, Kingsburg community. I'm a Johnsonville High School alumnus. Um, I think the Golden Flashes got a matchup tomorrow night with the Hannah Pampico Red Raiders. Go Flashes. Um <laughs> Anyway, um, see, he's trying to be an instigator yeah, is what he is. He's calling in <laughs> go. Yeah. Okay. I hear you continue. All right. Anyway, uh, way back when I was still on active duty in the Naval air forces out at, uh, China Lake Naval air weapon station, China Lake, California, back in 2003, I had the, uh, CDO duty command duty officer got a call from the, uh, base security. They said one of our F-18s had gone down in a nearby community there in California City. And they said they seen the uh, aircraft go down and seen the pilot eject. And uh, I called up the uh, the base XO, the executive officer, to report it. And he said uh, he got a call, too. He said, no, 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 it's not F-18. said what really went down was a contractor drone. There was no F-18, and there was actually no pilot. It was just a drone. So, you know, the accounts that get called in sometimes are reported or not actually what really happens. <laughs> I, I can imagine. imagine. Yeah, imagine that. Thank you, Olin. Appreciate that. Go Red Raiders. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Johnsonville Pamplico, big deal. I mean, Johnsonville Hannah Pamplico is a big rivalry in, in our part of the country. Uh, what, 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 it, it, it ain't the Bears-Packers. It ain't the Celtics-Lakers. It's not the Gamecocks-Tigers, but in that little part of the country, uh, it's a big deal. Um, 
the, the athletic teams in those little communities I've always referred to as the front porch. I mean, it's just uh, it's part of your identity. It really and truly is one one of the great, and I, and I mean this sincerely, one of the most genuine human emotions that I've ever experienced in my life. And and, and this is going to sound weird, is as a junior and senior on the Hannah Pamplico Red Raider football team, not having to pay for hot dogs at a guy who ran a restaurant. I mean, he wouldn't give you a ribeye steak, but but if you played football. He'd give you the hot dog. I mean, that was just his way of saying, you know, go get them. Uh, go, go to the band. Oh, how cool. I, I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was extremely cool. I mean, back then, I say, you didn't have money back then. I ain't got money now. But, I mean, I didn't have any <laughs> at all back then. So, for somebody to, you know, offer you up a free hot dog or two, and it would be three or four of us on a Friday after school going to get food and having your jersey wearing on. Wearing jersey, right. Yeah, wearing your jersey. And him, you know, uh, the hot dogs are on the house. I mean, that, that just made you feel you know, nine foot tall and bulletproof. You, I mean, I, it, I know it's a simple transaction, but it was a big deal to a high school kid. And, and you felt respected. You felt someone appreciated, you know, what, what you did. My wife asked my youngest son, you know, cause, cause he would complain about football practice and, you know, the nastiness of it. And, you know, it just, I mean, it, it ain't a lot of fun. I mean, I, I'll tell you football practice. I don't care what anybody says. It ain't a lot of fun. And, and my wife said, well, why do you do it for Friday night? You do it for Friday night. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Good morning. You're on. Hey, buddy. Uh, two a days, and then you would get that free Coke and French fries with me. Man, he exposed, uh, I call it woke journalism. He had that other Dave on there. He was talking about what, what they did. Like they produce storylines, and then they ask questions later if confronted. Then they talk in circles. And all of a sudden, you got to subscribe to whatever they do. So, anyway, uh, the Marine aircraft, I was thinking about this, man. You got the Stealth F-35. And where did it go down? Soggy Bottom. What do you call that? Rogers Farm or whatever? Yeah, it's on the other side of Rogers Farm. There's a broke-down backhoe on the left. And if you turn (laughs) right of that hedgerow, that's Rogers Farm, and it was in the back. Kind of, kind of behind that well, ditch bank. Well, hey, I tell you what, somebody's got some damn good deer stand cam to sell to the Chinese if they want to. And I tell you this, man, uh, the Marines are coming to town, brother. Uh, I didn't talk to some of these guys. They're coming from Beaufort. Uh, that's where the Marine Air Corps base is on uh, Trask Parkway, and they got Paris Island down there. They're coming into town, and they're gonna. They you you talk about search in the area, and you're talking about you don't even know where these pieces are. These guys are coming down there, and they'll be in town this weekend. So that's one good thing about Florence. I mean, we'll get some extra money from the federal government. Don't like to do it that way. But these guys are, are coming into town. And But did you hear what John Kirby called this whole thing? I did not. The other day? He called it a mishap. <laughs> a mishap. Now, could you imagine if this thing uh, crashed into one of these Democrats' compounds or Fairfax County? What they would say about that, but to me, I'll leave you at this, man. A mishap is when a girl sneezes. Uh, occasionally, you get a mishap. But anyway, y'all have a great weekend. Or, right. or, well, enjoy your Friday. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. You know, um, I, I thought about doing a show on the production of politics. It, it, it's kind of an interesting concept. I mean, I believe that Fetterman is a character, and Trump's a character, and they have a brand. And I mean, it's okay for Tucker to have a brand and it's okay for, for us, Rev, to have a brand, 
But these guys vote on policy. I mean, they fund defense. I mean, you know what I mean? Right. They, they build roads and bridges, uh, and then they've got these brands um, to uphold and maintain and, and market and, you know, write books and all. It's kind of bizarre and, uh, and, and crazy. But, but I want to go back because I think this is important. And it really goes back to Sunday morning. There was a revelation. I mean, I'd always suspected and knew this to be true, but they said it. I mean, they said the, the silent part out loud. So on, on Meet the Press, either Meet the Press, it might not have been Meet the Press because they dedicated about all of it to Trump. But on, on This Week with George Stephanopoulos, you've got this, 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 uh, this power table. You've got all these movers and shakers, and they're talking about Biden and Trump. And you've got the editor in charge or the editor at large of the Hill. You've got executive director of Politico. You've got, um, you know, political columnist of the New York Times. You've got uh, senior writer at the Washington Post. And, and every one of those five or six people sitting around that table said they've not talked to anybody who believed this. I mean, it, it's all, how is Trump going to win? We, we didn't, we've not, I mean, I don't even talk to people. I talk to people all, all the time and nobody believes Trump is legitimate. And I'm going like, who are you talking to? <laughs> I mean, you're in an echo chamber. You're in a, uh, you know, just just a world of reverberation. It's it's self affirmation and and confirms what you believe and what you think. And, and at times when I want to give these people the benefit of the doubt, and, and I don't believe their 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 power mongers and their their egotistical and arrogance is comes from credentialed at some of these elite universities. And, and I'll say to myself, okay, let's be kind and and decent. They just don't they don't get out and about. They don't go to a race. They don't go to a college football game. They don't go to a, a parade or a watermelon festival. If they did, they would detect some of this sentiment. But but always revert to, no, nah, that, that's an excuse. I mean, they are exactly who they say they are. They are power-hungry control freaks. And they believe the country is best led when led by people like them. And they're angry with us because we've not obliged. We've not played along. We... We walked to the abyss, and instead of, you know, not jumping, we jumped. And they're afraid we may jump again. <laughs> Real afraid that we may jump again. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.